Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. You know, St. Patrick's Day is coming up, and this really all happened uh, to coincidentally occur around St. Patrick's Day weekend. Um, I, I realized that Declan Shelby and I had been meaning to talk about uh, his new book, Injection, that he's doing with Warren Ellis. And uh, we planned on talking at some point in March, and it just happened to fall on this weekend before St. Patrick's Day. And I thought that would make a great opportunity for to uh, present it. It became such a delightful conversation. We just recorded it on Sunday and um, really had a blast. And it, it's always fun talking to the international guests. And I, I'm so pleased that so many international creators have, have become good acquaintances over the years. And Declan is a perfect example of that. Um, it's the first time that he's been on Word Balloon proper. We might have done um, a floor interview. I'm not really sure. Regardless, we've known each other for several years and have meant to do this conversation. And it's really nice that it happened now. Uh, he's enjoying such great success and reception from things that he's been doing for Marvel over the years and stacked up so much great work. His Moon Knight with Warren was really exceptional, as we all know, and Jordi Belair, of course, uh, coloring it. And uh, it's great that uh, Warren uh, wanted to then work on him with something uh, image-wise, and they've chosen an injection to work on. It comes out in May, May 13th, and uh, this is a great opportunity to preview the first issue, talk a little bit about the feel of the book with uh, Deck, but also look back at uh, what he's been doing and how he's been stacking up his career at Marvel. He gets very honest about uh, the market, how he sees his place in it, uh, the value of working at Marvel and uh, getting his work out there, but also the need to, I think, uh, work on his own creative stuff uh, too. And I, I'm glad that Warren Ellis gave him this opportunity. And uh, they're, they're working on such a very interesting project, and Jordy's a big part of it as well. Uh, they sent me a PDF of the first issue. It's great. I highly recommend it. And uh, they were so sweet to really even make it more ready and readable and for me to appreciate what they both are bringing to the book uh, because it's not quite finished yet, but it was really great to see. And I really appreciated the extra effort in terms of getting it to me in time to talk about this and and, and go beyond just the the basic strokes without really seeing any work yet. I'm happy to say it's terrific, and I do encourage you to uh, look for it in previews. I believe it's in the current previews, the March previews for May. And uh, go to your comic store and order in advance for Injection. You'll hear a lot about that, a lot about his Marvel work as well. Um, he, uh, This is the weekend of London Super Show. Deck didn't go this year. He went last year. He kind of compares European shows to American shows. And uh, I think there's a lot of useful information if you're an aspiring creator, a current creator, or just a fan that knows what's going on beyond what uh, shows up every Wednesday in the stores. So I think you'll enjoy today's conversation with uh, one of the great Irish creators, just coincidentally happening right before St. Patrick's Day, Declan Shelby, on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you very much for your support. And, uh, you know, we're coming on our 10th anniversary. Uh, it's a great deck's been listening for a long time, which is very sweet of him to say. I even got Jordy Belair to you know talk a little bit as well. It's uh, off the air, unfortunately, but uh, it was great to talk to them both. And um, you know, if you like Word Balloon um, and, and want to help me out uh, and be one of the League of Word Balloon listeners, uh, you already are by listening to this show. But if you want to be a, a participant and uh, help by subscribing to the show via Patreon, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/WordBalloon. If you can spare a buck a month and you like what you hear on Word Balloon, that'd be great. Uh, Word Balloon is free; it will always be free. I, I always want to stress that. But uh, if you want to help out, that's a great way to do it, and I certainly would appreciate it. It makes it easier for me to go to conventions, make these great connections that I do, and uh, bring you more programming that's interesting 
thing that doesn't just have to happen at conventions. It can happen on podcasts like Word Balloon. And I really do think that Word Balloons kind of serves that purpose. And anytime you want to go to a convention panel, it's that same level of conversation. But we're not done at 50 minutes. Today's uh, episode is a good example of that. So uh, if you want to help out, wordballoon.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash wordballoon. And uh, I would really uh, thank you for your support. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, great deals are going on now at InStock Trades, as they always do. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, uh, you'll receive free shipping, and they make it very easy with uh, great deals on things like the Astro City Victory Trade Paperback. It's 50% off. Man, I love that book. Uh, $8.49. You can also get the Private Lives hardcover at 50% off, $12.49. Hey, just in time uh, for Return to the Treehouse, the trade paperback of Art and Franco's Tiny Titans. It's uh, 50% off at just $6.49. You can also get things like... um, Roy Thomas has been doing these amazing Golden Age presentations, and uh, there's another one now uh, called uh, Rula, Jungle Goddess, the hardcover volume one. Roy Thomas presents 25% off, $35.99. I guarantee you, you will learn a lot about the Golden Age of history if you just listen to Roy Thomas in these books. Really neat stuff. Um, You can get uh, Deadpool, trade paperback volume seven, Axis. Uh, That is 45% off, $9.99. There's an Archie Giant Comics Party. Trade paperback, fantastic. 30% off, $5.59. Scalped from Jason Aaron and R.M. Guerra. Uh, Book one, uh, the deluxe edition is 45% off, $16.49. How about uh, Batman Beyond, uh, Justice Lords Beyond? Uh, That is by Kyle Higgins and uh, Tony Silas. And it is uh, 50% off. It's uh, just $8.49. Man, I'll tell you, I, I just love the Batman Beyond universe and really think that everybody over at DC that has been working on that stuff has been doing exceptional work. You can get the Justice League trade paperback from Yvonne Hayes and Jeff Johns. Volume 5, The Forever Heroes, uh, is 45% off, just $8.24. That's just the tip of the iceberg. You will find lots of great deals waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Declan Shelby, uh, appropriately uh, for this time of year, but uh, also just because Declan's just one of the nicest and and really neat guys in the business. Um, I think he really gets uh, what it's like to be a freelancer now for one of the big two, and uh, I think he gives you interesting perspective on his career, and if you're an aspiring creator, I think you're going to learn a lot, and even just as always, interested fans as we all are, I, I think uh, it's, it's a very fun conversation, so I'm pleased to welcome Declan Shelby, finally, to Word Balloon. I didn't realize our, our timing with uh, St. Patrick's Day and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, that whole thing. <laughs> exactly. No, it's, so yeah, stereotypically, it's, you know, I had, so. of course I yeah. Had to, had to have an Irish uh, creator on to. Uh, that's that's fine with me. I will I will uh, I will milk that for all it's worth. <laughs> I have been doing. This is on the record then. Sure. We we're saying this. Okay. So uh, so Declan Shelby, welcome officially, uh, finally to Word Balloon. Man, we've been talking about this for years, and I'm so sorry that it has literally taken this long for you to come on. That's no, okay. Thanks thanks for having me. Oh man, no, I you know long time fan as you know, and uh, long time listener, John. God bless you, son. You're a good man. And as I was just saying to start the show, uh, we are recording this just a couple days before St. Patrick's Day. You know, kind of a week holiday uh, here in in Chicago with with our Irish population and even uh, the hangers-on that are like, sure. (laughs) You got room at the bar? I'm I'm right there. What is St. Patrick's Day? Oh, well, okay. They're already there. 
Um, yeah, I wish you could say, I mean, it's, it is a, it's a big deal here, but I, I, if I'm being totally honest, I completely ignore it every year. Um, just, <laughs> so do I, man. I, do, <laughs> I used to live in a city called Limerick, and I don't only know it's St. Patrick's Day because there'd be the parade to go past my house. I'd wake up like, oh, what the hell is that? And it'd be the parade. I mean, the, the parades would be, I was even, when I was a kid, I was in the parade and stuff, but um, it's, uh, you know, I'm all, I'm all up for going out for drinks and all that, but it, it gets pretty ridiculous, um, especially in Dublin, uh, where, I, where I'm living. Like, just, it just gets congested. It's, it's, like, it's like New Year's Eve as well, you know? It's just, it's more hassle than it's worth, you know? I'm hip. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I feel and, bad because um, Jordy's American. And I'm sure she'd like to check it out, but I'm like, look, really? You know, I know you. You're not going to like that, you know. And you can't go to a, you can't actually go to a pub that's you know because they're all swamped. I mean, you can go, it just you know won't be comfortable. And I'm I don't know. I'm just way too lazy now. I just much prefer an actual relaxing you know pint with some space rather than being jammed up against fifty people. You know. I understand. Where do you guys like go to chill, but like stay local and everything as far as like a relaxing weekend? Where do you, where do you guys head to? <laughs> What's this relaxing weekend you speak of? Um, well, and, and I understand that, seriously. And I was going to say, I know Jordy is like, you know, left and right with deadlines, and I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a little easier uh, for me. I think I've, I've equated kind of how Jordy works and I work. Like, I, I feel like I'm kind of like a slow-moving glacier. And, you know, I can kind of accommodate. I have a certain idea where I'm going to be in like a week or two weeks, and I can kind of make plans around it. But Jordy's kind of like... Any any moment, some bomb can go off and just completely ruin her schedule. Depending on who's late or who's late or who's late. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. It, it, like you know, I she's frustrated, but also I get frustrated too because like I have I have deprived myself on not being that guy when other guys are that. It kind of you know affects me too. Like so, it's it's kind of comes with the job. We I mean we we go to Belfast for a weekend if we can because. Okay. It's, a, it's it's just a train ride from Dublin. It's just two hours, um, or even just like, you know, not having to work is a nice uh, treat. There's a local town as well called Dundrum. We go in there and go for a meal or cinema or whatnot. You know, um, we're not too bad in Dublin. We're a bit outside enough to not be stuck in the city. But I was going to ask. But it's accessible. Right, yeah. There's a, this train line called the Lewis. So it's just like a 20-minute train ride, basically, or tram ride. And we're right in the center of Dublin City. So whenever anyone's around, it's very accessible to get to. But we're in a nice kind of quiet area where, you know, you, know, you won't be hearing drunk people or traffic sure. or whatnot. So it's nice and no. it's the best of both worlds, really, I think. Absolutely. No, that's fantastic, man. And, and yeah, you know, I, I, uh, I hope to eventually come to your city. I, I, uh, I, I would well, love to go. Might- come around. It's actually, to be honest, it's kind of great because in the years where I've, you know, broke into comics and, and whatnot. We've had loads of people. Mike's been over a few times. And, I was going to say, yeah, Norton, yeah, Norton's been uh, America's guest. Yeah, he's always, and, uh, he's and, always like, I had, a gr- I had a great time. I'm like, why? Because, <laughs> you know, when you're from here, you don't, you know, it's, it's yeah. you know, I, I love it here. Like, but um, uh, he, he loved it when he came over. Um, it was great. Um, but it's nice you get to play, like, tourist guide for a day, basically. I've been to the Guinness Brewery more fucking times than I care to go, but... You know, that's what everybody wants to see. In the '90s, when I worked in sports radio, we had one of uh, the reps from Ireland over. The, one of the Guinness guys. It could have been sweeter, and uh, I wish I liked the beer more. A little too thick. For I, me, hate but... <laughs> I hate it. I, to me, it's something you should you should be using a knife and fork with. You know, yes, or to oil your car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is, every time you go, you get a free pint. I'm like, I'll give another shot. Like, 
and I just it's never it's never agreed with me, you know. Uh, no, with no, it's it is it's like it's like uh, like pudding, yeah, or what, yeah. Or like real real thick cream soup. It's like all right, man, you know, and just I I don't know, you know, and I think I'd like the taste if it was more in a whiskey and it was a thinner consistency. Yeah. But yeah, oh man, yeah. So what's your drink? What do you what's your, um, what's your I never ask. I never get into booze. I'm working on it. <laughs> you do with like, the Irishman, huh? Oh, no, 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 exactly. No, we're, going, we're going full stereotype. Are you kidding me, man? We're going to dance midway through the show. <laughs> it's called a jig, and, John. No, and, and we're going to, of course, uh, you know, movies like Going My Way or uh, The Quiet Man. The Quiet Man's a big Irish tradition uh, here in America. Of course. For, the, for tough men. That's what. That's our, like, oh, okay, uh, we're going to away. Uh, which is far away, sure, yeah. yeah. Which is which is loved beloved in Ireland for Tom Cruise's excellent accent. Um, oh God! If yeah, we get to look at hot Nicole Kidman, yeah, that's true. Um, Even nineteenth century uh, Nicole or whatever century uh, far away is supposed I, to be. I don't. I think it's. I think it's actually not even a, a set in a, a real time. It's a fantasy land. No, um, uh, actually, that's not as bad as TV's worst. The times where TV tries to do Ireland, it's oh, it's awful. But um, I drink cider myself. Personally, I'm not really. So do I. Oh, do you? That's fantastic. Yeah. What's what, what's your what do you like? I mean, I'm I am I'm a total like boring white bread guy that like I like sweeter ciders than the than yeah, the, uh, the same actually. Um, there's a, an Irish cider called um, Bulmers in the states. It's called Magners. Um, okay. Yeah, abroad it's called Magners, but it's it's because uh, there's another company that called Bulmers that do ciders, and I think they got the international rights to the name or some some nonsense like that. But um. <laughs> Uh, that's, I mean, to be honest, like variety wasn't really the spice of life here, so that's kind of really all I drank when, when I was in the states. In the states, it was hard. When in, in New York, they you wouldn't always have cider, um, but if they did, True. they'd have like more variety. Like there's Strongbow, which is yes. uh, like that's it's poison. Um, <laughs> stuff, but uh, I like taste medicine. When yeah. I was in the states, I liked um, woodchuck an awful lot because they'd have different like the they'd have different varieties depending on the time of uh, of year. So yes. that was really nice. Um, there's a few nice ones in the states, I have to say. But uh, yeah, I like I like Andrew, Angry Orchard. Now go on, please. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that, yeah, it's generally like I was the biggest pain in the arse because over here you can get like pint bottles, but in the states you could only get the small bottles, and they'd cost even more than a than a, a pint of whatever beer. So it was always really frustrating that going to the pub would always be expensive for me because I drink either whiskey or cider and, you know, neither were cheap. I'm hip. No, yeah. Yeah, same problem, man. Absolutely. That's hilarious. There you go. Tech, we got to hang more, man. I mean, that's the thing. We're always, <laughs> sure. It's always good to see cons and stuff like that. We'll just be drinking the same thing anyway. It'll be easy to keep uh, the rounds in order. Well, exactly, man. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll order pictures. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, oh, you know, I'm such a bloody stereotype. But, like, whenever, you know, I go, whenever I go to conventions and stuff, whenever, I'm with, you know, the Irish guys are with me, we're always closing the bar, you know. And I, um, I was at New York Comic Con with um, my mate Stephen Mooney, who does uh, Grayson and stuff. But, um, you know, with a mate of ours, he's uh, an animator, um, an Irish animator. We're all, like, having a great time. And we're, like, it was, like, five in the morning. We're, like... Why, why, why are we doing this? Like, I have to be up in four hours. But it, it's not like we had to be. We just, as long as the pubs are open, we'll have a laugh, you know. Um, sure. I just realized like how bloody we are. Totally the stereotypes. Like we're always propping up the bar at the end of the night. We just don't know when to quit. Like you know. <laughs> no, I understand, man. I'm a night owl as well, and and yeah, I, I hey, I live literally like. Not even half a mile away from two four a.m. Uh, Chicago bars. Oh, really? Actually, so, to be honest, I actually even don't go out that much. Like, 
<laughs> when, I'm, when I'm at home, it's when I go to conventions and stuff is really when I kind of like go out. It's very rare. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Because in here, if I'm, if I'm at home and I go out like, and then I have a hangover the next day, I can't draw. So there's, and also, I just don't really get outside the house, house that much. Um, so it's generally a problem whenever I'm going to conventions or traveling or whatnot, you know. I understand, but I, and by the same token, yeah, and I, I've seen plenty of Saturday and Sunday morning where uh, creators are a little bleary-eyed or wearing their sunglasses or, like, kind of in a stupor on the panel and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, to kind of draw the line there, I often find that um, there's a kind of a pervasive Irish attitude of, like, ah, you'll be grand, you know, don't worry about it. But um, I, I was at Thought Bubble uh, in the UK, and uh-huh. um, you know, I hadn't been out in ages, and I, I really tore it up. On the, I think it was a Friday night, and I was supposed to be on a panel the next morning, and I missed it. And everyone was really, really nice about it. But to myself, I was like, that's not on, like, you know. Good for you. You know, I made, well, I mean, not good for me, I didn't make it, but. Well, but I'm saying that you get it right away. Yeah, it's just, you know, if someone's making the time and stuff like it's. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't mean, like, I just, I guess I just got ahead. Of, I, I uh, lost track of myself, but, um, there, you know, there's professionalism and there's. You know, there's, uh, you know, enjoying yourself. And uh, I know, I think I learned a lesson that night anyway. Well, I've yet to, no, you, I'll find out at the next convention whether or not I've learned my lesson. You're 100% right. And I know, especially for, you know, you creators, that a lot of times, yeah, it's, it's fun, but it is business as well. Oh, and, and also, so yeah, and it's, 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 it's not easy it's drawing the, with a hangover, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I can appreciate that. That's cool. And, you know, as we're speaking, I know London Super Show is going on. That's right, yeah. This and so, yeah, you know, yeah, and, I, and I was... And you haven't been, have you, John? No, I haven't. Um, no, dude, you know, I have not been to Europe uh, since 2000 uh, when I went to Amsterdam with a bunch of friends. We were all in our mid-30s, and uh, it was, uh, where can we go in Europe where the wives won't be pissed? <laughs> For the married guys. Fair <laughs> it was like, And it was like, uh, I'm like, how about Amsterdam? They're like, oh! Like Amsterdam, and they're like, make a face. Why? <laughs> like, yeah, never mind. Really? Oh, That's going. the one place I wouldn't <laughs> suggest. Um, you know, I know it took a while. Did it? Oh, we know why you're going. Okay, right, okay. <laughs> it's like you know, no, they were good. They were they were good men. They they you know, the vows were never broken. All all went well. Well, I'm glad. They, two commandments were broken, but, if, but uh, no, no vows were. Everything was fine. Every everything was okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad you're the marital status of your friends is still uh, solid and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't care. I had a, I had a ball. I was in Disneyland. It's adult Disneyland. <laughs> I guess so. You know? I've never, I've never, I've never been. I'm again. Wait. No kidding. Yeah, I just, I, I kind of feel bad sometimes. One of the, the things of Jordy coming over to the states was like, hey, we get to see more of Europe, and we just work so much we don't really see oh. much. And we just, oh. Yeah, well, no, we're going to we're going to Greece and France um, this this summer. So I mean, we have been to France before, and we've been to Italy. Um, and to the UK a good bit, but um, you know, it's just ultimately. There's plenty of shows we're supposed to go to, but then there's some scheduling problem and somebody's late and, you know, it's stuff like that. But no, it should be a good year this year. Um, I'd say as regards to London's uh, super show, it's interesting. I went to it one year and, um, like, you haven't been to a, a European convention, but they are noticeably different to the American ones. Whereas yeah, London, describe. Yeah, yeah. The London super oh, show is different, whereas kind of when I went to it was kind of clearly the American model convention kind of transplanted. And I... It was. I mean, I'd, I'd give it another go, but I wasn't sure how much I enjoyed it. Um, Interesting. Go on, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I wasn't. You know, I wasn't a guest. I wasn't paid for anything. So um, I went on my on my own back, and um, it is is weird. There's a, definitely a more of a commercial angle to the American shows than there has been to the British shows. For or sorry, the European shows, because like, you know, over in the UK, say, uh, charging for sketches is a relatively new thing. 
Wow. Whereas it's like when I go to the States, you know, I see like artists like, you know, uh, doing serious commissions and trying to make some serious money. For me, that was never a big deal because I'd be paying so much to go to American convention. There's no way I was going to make make profit like. But if I could cover okay. if I could cover my expenses, that'd be OK. You know, I was always happy sure. for that. Um, because also all the uh, the companies were in the states, so I mean, it was more important that I went to where the industry was rather than you know make a bit of a bit of a scratch. But um, I do quite like the um, the European shows. Like, there's more of a festival atmosphere to them, um, whereas it's quite definitely business minded in the states, which is which is fine. Like, you know, I'm glad that there's sure. both rather than just be one kind of attitude. Well, no, and that's what I've always heard. Uh, guys like uh, I don't know if you know Sal Abinati. He's uh, I Okay, he's Alex Ross's uh, art dealer, oh, right. but also also an artist himself, based in Chicago. Goes to Luca every year, did Agulem oh, for right, years yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and and that's the thing beyond literally uh, pub stories about thought bubbles and uh, some of the what which is which one's the one in Leeds? Is that thought bubble? Yeah. Okay, and then I'm trying to think of uh, another another. Sh- uh, British show beyond Super Show that I've heard about, but really no. Uh, the Dice Convention. And the, okay. I, there was the Dublin one that I was helping to organize. Yes, indeed. And how did that go? Oh, went great. Um, it was a tremendous pain in the arse trying to get it all together. But um, I can imagine. Basically, there's a, my local retailer, uh, The Big Bang, had been they'd been organizing shows before, but like through the years, where like you know I've kind of been working my way up in the industry and whatnot, they had contacts. I'd contacts and kind of made sense to kind of like, you know, bring our efforts together. I'll admit injections should have been done earlier. And kind of what slowed me down was the fact that I got involved in the convention because, you know, if there's 50 jobs, when you sign up, it becomes 150 jobs. There's always like something else and something else and something else. And it really, really sucked up my time. But at the same time, like, you know, it's amazing having the industry come over here. We had like, we had, um, I can't even remember. We had Tom Fowler and we had, um, uh, oh, jeez, my, my mind's gone blank. Um, we had like editor, we had like th- three editors from Marvel over. We had, uh, cool. uh, good God, I can't even remember who came. Uh, Jerry Duggan. Um, Excellent. Fantastic. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. Have you had him on the show? Um, only the one time with Brian okay. and I've, you know, we keep meaning to get back together and he's stuff and then schedule just get crazy. Like the country fell in love with Jerry Duggan when he was over. He's, he's so lovely and so nice to everybody. And <laughs> I, he's, he's, he's a great guy. Um, but, uh, uh, oh, um, we had, uh, you know, Kieran, uh, uh, Kim Gillen, Jimmy McKelvey, Becky Cloonan, um, you know, a, a good, nice, diverse group of, um, uh, creators of Goran Parlov and Rekha Isaac. It was very much with me. Being involved, I kind of make sure that it was a good, broad range of stuff rather than, you know, just superhero comics or just indie comics. Have a nice, broad range. I think we got a lot of, a lot of new people in, like primarily young girls, which was really encouraging, you know. And, absolutely, yeah. Because the, traditionally they've been sausage fests, basically, you know. Indeed, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely they have, man. No, it's and that's wonderful that it is kind of is. Do you think that is kind of a new? Well, like you just said, they've normally been sausage fests. I'm assuming you're talking even about European shows were like that. Too. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I remember the first time I went to Bristol. I think I saw like three women. Um, but I mean, you know, at the same time, those environments aren't exactly. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, of course, it's a big conversation happening right now. But I think there's, you know, there's the chicken and the egg. It's like, you know, the 
the, if if your opinion was that women don't read comics, and then you go to a convention where there's no women, that just that that solidifies your opinion. But you know, just because women read comics, don't mean they want to go to bro fests. You know, I, I think it's Absolutely. I think it's um, while it may seem dramatic that like say women are reading comics now, I think I don't think that's the case. I just think that the environment is more open for women to kind of like say that they are without going like being tested on it. Like you know, which is your Green Lantern, the Kyle Rayner, you know. I don't know, die or whatever. It, it was always a case of like, uh, if you knew a woman, you, you know, she was tested on, on her nerd yeah. cred. Whereas that never really happened with, you know, with what you know, Joe White guy, you know. Uh, no, it did. You're you're right, but but I would, and honestly, I do appreciate this because you know I I had Kelly Sue on a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. Deconic, and we we always have a great conversation, and I really do value her opinion immensely, and she does educate, and things that we just. I think by rote, take for granted, and I just don't even think about it anymore and stuff like that. It's like, oh, oh God, that is that well, isn't nice. That's yeah. exactly what male white privilege is, you know. And when, <laughs> yes. you know, so that we have had that for a long, a long time. For and admittedly, yes. like it's kind of eons. Oh yeah, eons. And I mean, uh, you know, I've always considered myself, you know, fairly open-minded and um, yeah. progressive and whatnot. But even like. It's kind of Geordie's kind of like rapping in the knuckles a couple of times going, you realize what you're saying there is just, you know, not saying like, you know, that, I, you know, um, I'm being a dickhead or anything, but like little kind of um, incestuous things that get into your head that propagate the the the, um, yeah. the patriarchy to a degree, you know. And so my reaction at the time would be like to get defensive and go, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this. And then once I kind of got over myself a little, I realized actually... Yeah, that's not really the case. And why did I think that? You know, little. It's kind of. It took her to kind of like um, clear a bit of fog in front of my eyes. And I think generally, and I think it happens online when you know all this misogynistic crap happens. That um, when you know, if 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 said if I did something that was something that was kind of like borderline racist, and somebody said that to me, my reaction would probably be to be defensive instead of actually considering whether or not it was right. And I think that because we're all essentially privileged being like, you know, uh, white guys, which, you know, we don't want to think anything bad of ourselves, but like, we're not really in a position to really know, you know, I don't know. This is a much bigger, much bigger conversation. And well, I, I am curious. No, and I understand that. <laughs> we're going to get to the comic. As a woman in, a in comics, I think. Uh, no, but you know, I am interested because here's one that I honestly don't know. What to what to think, and that's the recent thing about Booth Babes. I read that this week yeah. that like uh, you know they're kind of worried about having Booth Babes, but then it's like, well, yeah, but you've got cosplayers wearing, and again they're doing their thing as well. But it's like, where's the you know I I can appreciate where the sentiment and saying, hey, we are being proactive, no Booth Babes. I appreciate that, but I also am like I I don't know is that is that going too far? Is that guilt? I, I don't know, and really, I got We got to talk to so ask Jordy. <laughs> um, well, I mean, you know, me and Jordy uh, had this conversation, and um, uh, I, you, you know, I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, it's the other way around necessarily, and you know, she uh, sometimes there's a case of uh, you know women being shamed for how they look or how they dress and whatnot. But I would say, and this is just my my opinion, I, don't, I yeah. think that the rules are perfectly fine. From what I can see, it's a case of quote unquote booth babes. Um, if they're to me, they're being they're being hired professionally for a job. So if that's the case, I don't think it's unreasonable that uh, a person be professional in their job or dress like you know in an office. 
it's not like you have to wear certain clothes, but there's certain restrictions on what on, on, on what you're wearing. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think the cosplayer's issue is a completely separate thing. And from what I read, understand that as long as it's an actual game character, then it's totally fine. I think I read a report which is very skewed one in one direction. I read some more stuff, and it seems that basically if you're dressing, if, as you're, if you're cosplaying as a games character, that's totally fine. What they don't want is, you know, somebody who is uh, being professionally, working professionally at a booth, uh, not a cosplayer, but um, uh, dressing in a way yeah. which is inappropriate, which from my point of view, I'm fine with, you know, because I, as much as like, you know, I do like, you know, <laughs> uh, cleavage and whatnot, but if um, there's a case of, you know, like a young girl being in an environment like that, if, you know, I'm not a parent, but I can totally understand not being comfortable uh, with that. So, I, again, I don't know everything about this scenario, but I mean, I think I, don't know I think that the cosplayers yeah. issue is separate from the boobs based issue, whereas I, do, I, have, I think I'm perfectly fine with, like, also, like, you know, if I go up to a, 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 um, a booth, I'd actually prefer to talk to a woman than cleavage, <laughs> personally. Of um, course. Well, <laughs> But, I understand that you know, as well. Maybe some don't feel that way, but I think in a professional capacity, I don't think there's anything wrong with there being some restrictions of what is appropriate, rather than you know saying what a woman can and can't wear. Um, it's uh, if they're go- like if you're going to a convention, you can wear whatever the hell you want. It's not stopping you from you know if you want to wear a bikini, you can wear a bikini. But I think with a booth babe, it's it's a it's a job that is. How I would. I'm sure I'm, people are going to disagree with me, but uh. oh, hey, man, seriously, and I know this just uh, just organically happened during the conversation. Sure, and we are two you know. we are two white guys talking about this. Exactly. <laughs> so of course we have the privilege of being able to judge this and really decide because we're the lords of comics, and exactly. I think we just made this decision as lord so of comics. I decree. can we do? Can we start the gang? Can we be the lords <laughs> of comics? Can we get the jackets made for that? That'd we, be awesome. We really, really should. No girls allowed, right? <laughs> No, as I always tell Kel, and I agree with what you said about you know testing and stuff like that. It's funny because all all that ha- you know, like I told Kel, I'm like Kel, you've been in the clubhouse since day one, and it wasn't that it was a test or that she was called upon, but just through natural conversation, she's like, oh, you know, I really love the Modesty Blaze novels and just a million things that she loves. And and again, it wasn't a girl likes this, but it was just like. Oh, thank God. All right, here's another one of us. And and honestly, I appreciate what you're saying, and I agree, but um, I also do think that it wasn't so – well, and I guess some – it depends on the degree of asshole because I could see some guys being like, oh, you know comics? Well, uh, you know, what's uh, – who was Van Z in Kryptonian uh, history? Yeah, I you know, know. something like that, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you're not going to say I'm not a real fan because I don't know that obscure Golden Age bullshit, like, you know? I mean, not bullshit, but, but- – but like for example, when I took my uh, my my job at Sporting News Radio, um, my boss had a cable uh, little uh, figure on on top of the mixer, on top of the stu- you know the audio mixer, and I'm like, oh, you like the X Men? And I didn't even know who the hell cable was because I kind of checked out in the '90s and mm-hmm. wasn't paying attention. And he's like, oh, you know comics, and I'm like, yeah, man. And it was like, guy, great. John. you know. <laughs> He's a good man. No, he no, he was hardcore. I actually asked him to co-host Word Balloon when I came up with the idea, and he's like, "Yeah, you know." He goes, "I think you should do it," but I, I'm just not into it because he was a he's a broadcaster as well, so he could have easily done it and knew, that, you know, damn chapter and verse on Marvel. I mean, mm-hmm. this the guy knew stuff. Anyway, well, you know, aside, so, I, I would say as regards that, I mean, any happens with any any uh, uh, clubhouse to a degree, whereas like you know, you and me can say that we like comics. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean we like comics. You know, we like maybe mainstream comics, or we like you know independent comics, or we like zines. It's such a broad, broad thing. And for sure. you know, for if if uh, you know if there's somebody, a girl or not a girl, uh, who likes um, uh, web comics or likes zines or whatnot, this doesn't mean that she's any more or less. Or even it happens with outside of comics with um, you know, I see an awful lot of kids getting as. Uh, uh, crap for like wearing Nirvana t-shirts and whatnot, you know, uh, you know, they're like, oh, they're such posers. They weren't, you know, into the band or whatnot. And that's true. They weren't into the band because they weren't old enough to be in the band. And, you know, there's a new fan finding music for the first time, you know, to them, it, it doesn't matter when it came out. It speaks to them at that age in the very same way it would have to the person who was there at the time. And for you to go like, you don't have a right to listen to that music. I was there is moronic. I, I, I find, you know, it's all, it's all subjective. I, I love Nirvana, but like, I got into Nirvana after Cobain died. Does that mean I can't listen to Nirvana? You don't own it, you know? I mean, we all own it subjectively because it all means something to us. But like, let the kid listen to Rolling Stones, you know? Like, it, 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 I, think, I think that there's, um, with any sense of fandom, there's an insecurity. And maybe it's because a lot of us were like, you know, nerds, or a lot of us, you know, weren't confident talking to girls when we were younger, that you appropriate some things and you internalize them. So Star Trek or, uh, you know, comics for me. And then, you know, you feel like you own it. And we all get very precious about it. So if you fuck with, quote unquote, our childhood, we get very, you know, defensive, insecure, and turn into total assholes about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. The one thing that I do, and I completely agree with everything you're saying, and you're right, and sometimes you do have to even say, yeah, and appreciate that. Hey, want, look at this young person. It, it be, you know, react to this art and get it right away. And I, and God, I, I mean, even, you know, my, my little nephew, when he was five years old and turned to me on a Christmas day as we're watching Star Wars for him the first time on TV, and he's like, I like Star Wars. Yeah, but you don't go like, like you yes, don't get you to do. Like, you don't get to like Star yeah. Wars. Exactly. Man, you were there, yeah, man. Exactly. No, but you know what's interesting, and, and really it, it kind of speaks to um, the kind of work that, you know, collaborators like Warren do, but I would really speak more to Alan Moore. There's sometimes when I see younger people read the older stuff like a Watchman or something and they go, I don't get what the big deal is. Yeah. I don't I don't know where it's coming from. And that is where, well, contextually you have to understand that when this came out, this was really, really different. And now because of the the inspiration and it, you know, those first steps that a lot of these guys took that is why we've got the generations we do now. It's why a place like Image is, is obviously thriving with a lot of creativity amongst yourselves and everything and, and doing some really great work. And, and that's the thing. So I, that's the time where a young person – and it's like, yeah, you don't want to be an old asshole and everything. But it is like, well, let me explain. You know, before this, there was nothing. Then this happened and everything changed. Yeah, I mean, you know? it's, it's kind of hard to, to have that point. Like, you know, um, oh, yeah, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't there when Citizen Kane came out. Uh, so clearly, you know, I wasn't, you know, when the like, when brave right. decisions were being made in filmmaking, I certainly benefited from the sophistication in, in storytelling that happened in film afterwards. But, you know, you can't really have, somebody can't really have the responsibility of completely knowing, like, you know, like, look at all the amazing shows now. And, you know, you can say The Sopranos started, although I'd argue that Oz started, but anyway. Um, I not bad, man. I, I got no problem with that. Um, but like you know, when you watch Sopranos, it was revolutionary at the time, and Absolutely. you know, or even I think, I think um, I've, I've mentioned this elsewhere. When you watch the first episode of The Wire, and considering the series that it it was, the very first episode they used flashbacks, or they used a flashback in the first episode. I remember listening to the commentary where David Simon said, "I really didn't want to do that," but the network felt that it was necessary so that the audience could figure out, could 
put two sure. two together. Now they don't do that for the rest of the series. I think it's a very jarring difference in the approach to storytelling of 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 what was considered to be necessary and then what was necessary. And you know, no one's no one's really really appreciating that because we've such a wealth of amazing, sophisticated storytelling happening in in episodic television right now. Whereas, you know, you go back, what was Sopranos out? 99? 90? I want to say 90s. Yeah, maybe 99. It was 99. Was or maybe, 90, maybe 98, I'd say. But, like, that's not that long ago. But, you know, things have changed significantly. But, of course, if you're starting to watch, if you're, like, 16 years old and you've got Netflix and you start watching Breaking Bad, you're like, holy crap. But, like, you're not going to know that, like, you know, you, there's just no way you can contextualize um, what has changed or what has developed or who started it, you know. Um, sorry, I think I'm rambling now. <laughs> no, but I, I no, I, I. That's okay. This is you know, you listen to Word Balloon. This yeah, is what yeah. we do. It's, it, it's quite. <laughs> it's all good, man. Absolutely. Well, now and uh, and here, I will I will swing it to injection based on that, um, because the opening scene. Are are we? Is that a present day? And then is the rest of 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 the issue? Is it in the past or or? Well, there's um, one. There's one scene. It opens. What the hell is the first page? I can't even. I know. Uh, we start off in the present. Um, okay, fine. Because yeah, I mean, it, well, I want and I want to get to you know, obviously injection. Um, it's it as as the pitch is described. We are we are looking at five people who have uh, infected the world in some way. Yes, that has been done. They fucked it up. Yes. Um, and, there's and that's go on. So yeah, no, there's um, there is a scene later in the book. Um, what I'm trying to do again, as regards uh, attempt of sophistication, there's a very subtle change in the look of the book where I don't use washes, and Jordy's color color scheme is somewhat different. Uh, yes, which there's like two pages in the book that is a flashback, um, and each issue will have that flashback. I'm trying to like subtly weave it in. I know like Jordy uses um, on some books, she'll use a lot more of a stylized color scheme to show there's a flashback, but um, at the same time you know, something becomes a little too done, so we're trying to do something a little different. But um, the story takes place in the present, but we'll have little snippets of basically pre-injection. So they they created the injection, which is going to destroy the world, and we'll have little flashbacks to before it happened in slightly happier times, and they were all a team, and they all got on well. And now they don't really talk to each other, but they're each realizing that they need to stop what's happened. But in a way, they're basically their own, their own agents trying to address what's happening and work doing the same thing without actually working together. I, it, it's yeah, you've got very distinct characters and they, and they really have beyond infecting the world seem to have control over the world as well without going into detail. The book doesn't come out till May, but yes. uh, you know, yeah, it's going to be very uh, um, nonspecific yet. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, talking it up. It's kind of difficult. Um, Cause it's, it's like, I mean, that is essentially that that's the, uh, the, the pitch as it were, but um it's a little. I guess it's it's difficult for me to to, to sell a a new idea because effectively everything I've done is like uh, previously is like, hey, you've seen Deadpool, right? Or you know, hey, you've seen Moonlight. Right? I'm doing it now. So it's it's kind of uh, uh, difficult for me to pitch the uh, something that is new. I guess so. I'm sorry if I'm not a. Well, but we can talk in general terms and say that um, in a in a way that beyond the subtleties of subtext where art and color in particular are used because of the nature of the story. Um, this, this does seem like, you know, you guys are even more involved than normal because of their ability to manipulate the world that 
presents a great opportunity from an art standpoint, I would imagine, to really cut loose when scenes require that. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to be very um, restrained in the storytelling. Um, it's something I kind of tried to do with Moon Knight as well, um, which in a way was kind of like a test for this, I, I'm realizing now. But if, by having the storytelling be very restrained and the world being believable as a very real, uh, tangible world, when these kind of more you know, um, uh, out-of-this-world elements or supernatural elements or, or surreal um, things happen, that I can play with the form a little bit more and make the most of it. If, you know, if every character broke panel in every single page, you know, if I did it during an important scene, it kind of loses that impact, you know? Um, Absolutely. And if you notice, there's a scene where um, uh, Maria goes into this uh, door in an underground yes. bunker. And when when we're in that world, I bleed, I bleed the uh, panels out, out of the page. Um, so they go out each side. Again, it's not anything incredibly like daring or in, in, in inventive, but it's a subtle thing of me trying to make the make this make that environment something more something different and something more um, surreal. And in the later issues there's more things like that where I can play with the form a little bit more during those moments, which makes them all the more spectacular. And then when we're back, say, in a normal place, everything's a lot more um uh formal, if if you know what I mean. I do, and I and no, it's it's great. I even appreciated a quieter moment when we're introduced to uh one of the one of the other five and um the environment changes and it changes very subtly but it happens yeah, and, it, and and yeah absolutely man no that's what i'm saying it's you know i mean that, it's, it's always it's always hard because um you know uh, you get a script and your job is to you know you're trying to um uh, tell a story with the script and there's a there's a you know an adaptation that happens to a degree and and then Jordy, i mean gets very involved as well color wise with having suggestions and you know it's very hard to know whether you're not you're communicating what you're trying to communicate until somebody actually reads it because you're always so involved, you know. But I'm, yeah, I'm really glad you picked up on that. That's great. Oh, absolutely, and that's the thing, and I, and that's why, as as most books by Warren happen, this is not a, a you know five minute shit on the can. Let me flip through this book. I mean, this is like read this oh, book, well, in, in and, and, and especially and also from an art standpoint too. And that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of cool stuff happens right away that will drag your you know pull your pull you into this into the world and pull you into the story in a great way yeah so. that's, that's kind of what i'm i'm hoping there's um i was listening to um a show once uh with a uh, uh charlie brooker who did black mirror i don't know if you've seen that um, i have oh yeah. dude i'm so glad you've seen it i love oh, god, it. Yeah, it i saw is... it it was on over here first and i've been telling everybody to go see it like in our yeah i know and now now you're all picking up on it but um <laughs> What was it? Uh, Charlie Brooker was previously, uh, or he has done, and uh, continues to do um, a show for the BBC, where he would kind of like look at um, TV shows. And when Mad Men came out, he uh, oh, I highly recommend if you screen wipe Google. Uh, sorry, Google. Jesus Christ! If you go on YouTube and look up uh, yes. screen wipe, you'll find like years of shows he did. They're they're excellent. I highly recommend them. Screen wipe. Screen wipe. Yeah, um, I think you'll love it. Oh, screen wipe. Yeah. With a P. W I P E. Um, okay. Some of it's dated because of what was coming out of the times, but uh, I think you'll you'll really enjoy it. But there's one where he was, uh, he was talking about when Mad Men came out that it was um, uh, the diff- the difference with that show was instead of kind of like grabbing your attention, it was a show that just kind of let you slowly like lean back and let us you know uh, envelop you rather than just have to suck you in straight away. And I feel say with Moon Knight as a book where we kind of like grabbed people's attention, you kind of grab them by the by the collar and go, look at this. <laughs> with injection it's i think it's something that where i want we want 
to kind of slowly ease into the story and into the world, you know? It's yeah, the metaphor of the injection, absolutely, man. It takes a couple seconds for it to kick in. I like that it. I would I'm gonna know. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> Excellent. Absolutely, man. No, this is well. You know, and you said that, um, and and it, it might contradict what we just uh, spoke of, but that Moonlight was a test for this book. Tell me, tell me what you mean by that. Well, I mean, um, when Warren and I were talking about um, uh, Moonlight initially, um, I told him, you know, things. It, it was it was really uh, great. Um, he kind of like asks what you like, basically, what you're into. Um, and I find that, uh, you know, I told him what I was into and uh, this, that and the other. And I, I, I said what I kind of wanted to kind of play around more with. I really like widescreen panels in, in comics, not necessarily for like the big Brian Hitch, uh, you know, widescreen moments. But as regards to storytelling, I feel it's not an awful lot. I think you can kind of be very uh, slow and deliberate with uh, with that kind of format because it forces the reader to leave, read left to right. Um, with things like the grid, you kind of have to, you know, push some, somebody left or air you know, you're you're basically directing the reader without them realizing it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's times to use the grid and times not to use the grid, I feel, but I, I quite like the, the static format of widescreen panels because I think it's it's the most one of the most direct ways to communicate the story to the reader. Um and I was talking about Wes Anderson, uh I don't remember um watching um Moonrise Kingdom and there's a scene where the I don't know if you've seen it, there's it stars two kids and they both kind of um enter the the screen from either side of the uh of the screen and they slowly go together and, and, and meet each other. And I remember thinking, you know, if there was a less confident director, it would have been like um, you know, Gladiator when the hand goes through the, the, the grass and you know, you need to kind of make it more spectacular. But I really liked or like what we do the way say Wes Anderson or, or Kubrick or whatnot. We just kind of let it happen, you know, and doesn't need to like mm-hmm. j- jazz it up with uh, fancy angles. And there was an opening scene in Moon Knight where, you know, it, we see a little glimpse of him and the opening of the, the car going down the road. And where I could have done like a cool, you know, three quarter degree angle of the car looking all badass driving up New York. I Instead, I opted for just a very stat- not static, but very simple shot of the front of the car with a little bit of city behind it. And it was given just as much space as every other uh, panel. And, you know, I'm kind of trying to do something cinematic in that regard, as regards pacing, not necessarily, you know, making it look like a movie, but reading in a certain kind of... Um, uh, Directed way. Directive y- yeah, way. yeah, directively. Because like, I feel that, you know, what I like about comics is like it's atmosphere, and I feel you can... I think storytelling can portray an atmosphere. I mean, much in the same way as Watchmen did with the, with the grade and whatnot, but um, uh, it, it was something I was trying with Moon Knight, and it seemed really... Click. I mean, it wasn't like I'll do this and then maybe I'll do it my own work. Um, and but even say doing with injections, since we, you know, this is our project, we can kind of do whatever the hell we want. And while there's moments where I'm kind of like worried, in that this kind of one point, pers- like there's a not like the opening shot of injection is very Wes Anderson-y. I mean, you know, it's the front of the building and close up on the eyes, and you know, the the composition is very uh, um, is very symmetrical. It's all very, you know, everything's really in the, in the middle of the of the uh, the, the panel. Um, sometimes I kind of get worried, like, oh, is this kind of boring? You know, is it like, maybe I should make this kind of cooler? But it's, you know, with this project, I'm trying to you know, just use that as an experiment of trying to, like, take a step back and only really kind of kick the table over when, when, it, when it's appropriate, you know. 
Absolutely, and that's the thing. Um, comics for decades have been hyperbolic in their storytelling, and yes, it always is. You know, uh, Batman has to have an inner monologue while he's beating the shit out of somebody, yeah. as opposed to having quieter. Because I've done loads of superhero comics, and you know that stuff is great fun to draw. Like I'm not, I'm not putting it down. It's just. Um, you know, this isn't a superhero book for one. There's definitely right. super, you know, weird elements. So you know, it's still visually interesting, but um, um, it's uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess for me, it's an experiment. You know, of of seeing how far I can kind of go go with that. You know, because even there's sometimes I'm like, I, I do think I need to switch it up here and there, but but kind of making it the um, the uh, well, what's the word I'm looking for? Basically, the set way to approach the storytelling. It is it is uh, more direct, and I'm embellishing an awful lot more. Like I. On my superhero work, I pretty much, you know, drew in, in black line. But with Injection and, and Moon Knight, it's a case of like, you know, I'm doing lots of washes on the pages and, and trying to work on values a lot more rather than just kind of drawing stuff, you know. And is that just because it was appropriate for the work or do you feel it is an evolution in your art where you, you wanted to try different things in general um, or both? It's, um, I guess a little bit of both. I, I often wanted to use gray wash more. I was doing – I don't remember the comic twerp days, but um, – I, uh, I do I was, go on. I mess, yes. I mess around with wash a lot more, which is easy to do in a in a sketch. But a storytelling page, there's a lot more clearly happening in a page and different panels and how they relate to each other and different you know working on values and stuff. And it's just more time. Um, it takes more time to do it. And you know when I would do with all the work I was doing at Marvel, I you know prided myself on being uh, reliable and on time. So I would just get the you know make sure the work is done and. Sure. Gray wash didn't really uh, work with that. When, um, for example, when I was doing Deadpool, I really wanted to do that, but like the the schedule just didn't allow it. Um, when Moon Knight came up, I knew it was going to be see, because you know Deadpool was double shipping as well. When Moon Knight came up, <laughs> I knew it was going to be monthly. Um, I knew Warren was only going to do six issues, or well, that was what I was told initially. I mean, so I, I planned considering that. And if it was definitely going to do six issues, that meant that I had a little bit more than a month to work on each um, uh, each issue, whereas I kind of was getting to the stage where I had less than a month to work on an issue. So knowing that they weren't going to just double ship it meant that I knew I could spend a bit more time on it. And while I wasn't paid more to do the watches, I felt that, you know, every book I'd done has been basically issue, like I started with issue, I don't know, 12 of Deadpool, or I started with issue 147 of Thunderbolts. This was uh-huh. the first chance I was getting to really build something. Understood. So coming with that, I wanted to, like, if it was my only shot to do something that I built or was my own, I, I figured it was my my chance to do a signature piece of work rather than continue on a story that had already been happening, which isn't to, you know, insult the work I was doing before. I, I loved working on Deadpool and working with Jeff on Thunderbolts and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's the authorship is what I love about comics. And I really wanted to, this is my opportunity to like, you know, it be mine and nobody else's. So I, I put in the extra hours to make it a more, you know, fleshed out world and, and just really, really, really sell it and end up working because especially with the color approach with Moon Knight, he was white, but he also had no washes on him. Everything else around him did have a wash. All the environments were like all the bricks and the roads. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it'd be obvious unless you saw the original art because Jordy, okay. Jordy did such a great job of like having all these excuse me, uh, wonderful painter, the effects were, it really melded really well. But I mean, for me, I knew it made the work better and everybody I showed much preferred the pages. So when it came to injection, I kind of had a bit of a uh, conundrum was, you know, cause I want this book to ship on time. Um, is it more important that I, you know, 
make sure that this book is always like uh, done no matter what uh, and be a bit more and, and maybe plan ahead and go like, you know, really, maybe I should just make do it in a shorter time so that I can build up more issues. Or do I want to do my best work? Um, as it turned out, I didn't really have to choose one way or the other. I can, I'm doing my best work. I'm doing the washes, but I'm just making sure that I build up enough issues beforehand before they like the, the book's out in May and I'm halfway through issue three now. So it just okay. gives me the, because as well, it's, it's ongoing. So I want to make sure that I don't run into problems yes. on issue seven, you know? Um, but it, it ultimately came down to like, if I'm going to do something that I actually do own, that is my own, you know, do I want to do my not best work, <laughs> you know, or do yes. I want to do my best? So, so just, just took some planning ahead of time, but, um, all things considered, I get to do my best. Um, it gets to look good. Uh, it'll ship on time. You know, I didn't have to. I didn't have to make that decision, thankfully. Well, and not to get too far ahead, but I'm sure everyone wonders, given that it is an ongoing. Will it be this five? Do us, you know, take a break, put out a trade, and then come back and do five? Yeah. How do you how do you see this? And, and do you have enough time to do? Ten issues a year, or seven or eight, or yeah, it'll do, be. Do you have, have you talked about that? Yeah, no, no, definitely, because I'm I'm way too practically minded to not think of that, you know. Um, <laughs> Understood. Yeah, it absolutely. Drives me mad. I mean, like it drives me mad. I mean, I'll be honest. If, if if a book is late, I don't really care. I don't mind waiting, but I do know that, like, you know, to be, you know, uh, there's a reason why companies are filling artists because the books don't sell as well if they're if they're unreliable uh, in the monthly market, at least. Um, what I what I love about Image, um, which is cra- it's a crazy thing to to say. You wouldn't think it like five years ago, but I feel that Image is the one place you can go where the work is is consistent and pure. You know, like there's you know there's no fill in artist on um, on Saga. on Saga or Wicked and the Divine. You know, but the nature of doing like uh, work for hire books is ultimately there. Uh, you know, especially with double shipping or or whatnot, there needs to be a rotating. Uh, our team and I uh, as much as I love working for Marvel I, I don't want to do that you know um, I don't want to share <laughs> I don't want to share um, I just <laughs> if the writer gets to write all of it I want to draw all of it um, sure and you know when it came to me maybe yeah, going with Marvel or doing creator on project I realized at this stage the oh, the purest thing I really have would be those six issues of Moon Knight and having had a taste of that I didn't really want to go back and do a random issue of Wolverine you know Um I, I I felt like I'd done my time in the trenches as regards that. If I, you know, whenever I do another uh, superhero thing with Marvel or, or whatnot, you know, I, I'll want it to be. I guess that's the dream. I want to do like an art. I want to do my run of Daredevil. I don't want to do a rotating art arc on Daredevil. You, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, but would you? Yeah, go on, go on, and then I'll ask. You know, like there's the Bendis Malieve, um Daredevil, but yes. I mean, it, it's tougher and tougher to do that as an artist now. Because the product is coming out so much, it's just impossible. I mean, I think Chris has done an amazing job on Daredevil. He's managed to get so many issues out. But like, Absolutely. you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to do that without killing myself. And I, I just, I don't think if I could just go to Image for a while and just do my own book and and you know be responsible and take control over the, over the output when it's done. You know, I want to have my own saga or my own uh, you know preacher or Why the Last Man. I want. I want to have a signature piece of work that is mine. And with respect to, to Marvel and DC, I just don't really think it's possible unless I can do an issue in three weeks and keep up with a double shipping schedule. You know, it's, it's no badness. I'm not like going, oh, stupid Marvel. It's just that like, I had to be realistic about what do I, I'm 32 now. What do I want to be doing in, in five years time? And while I would love to be doing something like Daredevil, I would really want to have something 
of my own under my belt at that stage. That is that the that is all mine. That is say Warren, me, and Jordy. You know, all of one body of work. No fill-in artists. No, you know, nothing like that. Because you know, even as a reader, I, you know, I want to read a consistent piece of work. You know, um, uh, and I'm generally dropping like if I like a certain book and say. Let's say Chris Somney's drawing it because he's great, and then it switches to another other artist. I, you know, if I don't like the art, I'm just not going to buy it. Um, as much as I love the characters, I'm, I, I just want to read a consistent body of work, and I'm not. I think while most readership goes artist or writer wise, and they because they, they like they have the consistency of the writer. I'm, you know, I love that, but I, I I'd like both actually. Like, I I don't like I have to choose. Um, between following an artist or a writer, I, I would much prefer just follow a creative team. I understand, and you know that really opens a lot of understanding in terms of where the market is right now. You know, one of the smartest things that John Hickman has said, uh, and it was an off-the-cuff thing, but he says a lot of smart things. But but he said sometimes I get the feeling that DC and Marvel are are even though they they share product on the shelf that they're in the business for different reasons and you've just illustrated how image presents the opportunity that it does for creators in a different way than DC and Marvel does your very evolution of your career explains that as well they have that need as you say to be have a consistent product on the on the shelf every month in and out because people are coming for the character and it and it really is becoming more and more because of the necessities of double shipping and having even just a regular twelve issues every year, and and you know not 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 missing. Well, in this case, eighteen, 18 issues a year in a lot of books. Exactly, or yes, it's just not yeah. possible for now. Like it's not possible. Yeah. I can't. I mean, don't be wrong. I'm like I'm not. I can't blame people for following writers because they can can absolutely because they can, they do, can it. do it. But I mean, it's not even good for writers even because they ultimately then with with double shipping books they've got to write you know like Act One of one story and Act One of another story. Before they've written Act Three of the previous story, you know it's, you know they're yes. the strain gets on them too. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, and I'm not and, and you know, don't get me wrong, I'm not like um, uh, moaning about Marvel. Ultimately, you know, I made the, mis- the decision to not do that. Had I made the decision to to do that, I don't really think I have the right to complain because, you know, if you're if you're if you're a little smart as an artist, you're gonna realize what's what is available to you and what do you want to do. And you know, I don't want to do three issues of. Wolverine, I want to do, you know, a proper 12-issue story that has a beginning and a finish and an end where I got to draw every single scene of it and have that that authorship, you know. Otherwise, you're just doing bits of stories. And, you know, if that's what Marvel are offering, great. If they're not, then I'm just going to do this for a while and and have something that I own. Um, It's just a case of... uh, I mean, and, and I certainly benefited from that because I, I, when I started at Marvel, they needed a fill-in guy because they, I think Thunderbolts is one of the first books they started double shipping. Um, so I was given these kind of one-shot stories like the Man Thing one, and uh, yes. uh, you know, so you know, I, you know, I benefited from that because because they needed more product, they needed another artist to kind of step in, and and me and Kev ended up um, uh, yes. uh, sharing that book, which well, which is which is great, but I mean, it also sucked because. I also had to compete with Kev Walker every, every month. You know, I think I do a good job, and then Kev Walker's pages is like son of a 
But you know, and this is this is the thing, and I and I'm sure this is you'll experience this as well for people who maybe aren't as familiar with your work. But the fact that Warren is writing, it's the it's the entree to your work, and obviously that was the case with Moon Knight. Um, with Parker, you know, Parker and Kev Walker and stuff. I mean, I, I Parker was one of my first guests on Word Balloon, and he's like, "Yeah, we got this guy Deck Shelby, and he's coming in, and you know, he's he's going to be alternating with Kev." And it's like, okay. And it's like, oh shit, this is really good. And so that was our introduction to you. You, as you say, you made your name, you, you moved up the ranks in Marvel. You became reliable, as you say, because of your deadlines and your consistency. And then we're afforded the opportunity to, to do this big moment with Moon Knight, really, you know, busted ass to make it a signature work. And it's just, it's like school, man. You, you've graduated now to this point where you are ready for this. And also you benefited and Marvel benefited as well from a, from a great Moon Knight arc that made a lot of, you know, hey, and people really paid attention to it and they know who you are. And as you say, you want that consistent, it would be great to do the Preacher Run or, you know, even what Chris is doing at Daredevil, which is such an anomaly. But in the market today, as you say, it's not possible. So that... DC and Marvel, and it's okay. They, they, I'm sure, are content with what's going on, as they should be, because it's their, it's their job to put out Daredevil every month or Superman every mm-hmm. month, whatever. It's yours and and Warren's and whomever you collaborate with to, as individual creators, to put out the best possible work you can. Um, just relying on yourselves, that's a different set of priorities, and that's why I go back to Hickman's thing of being on the same shelf for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, even, and, and even you know, and it's it's okay. It's it's oh yeah, it's absolutely. Go on. Well, um, even even like I, I, the case of before, you know, I was doing Moon Knight, um, and uh, I was in any contact with Warren. Uh, you know, I'd I'd, be, I'd gotten offers to do uh, creator and stuff, and um, this might sound uh, ridiculously full of myself, but I I knew that I knew I wasn't the best artist in the world, but I knew I was. You know, I, I was I thought felt like I was doing good work. Um, you know, working with Brian Wood and stuff, and um, you know, the various. Dark- I always kind of did something on the side, which was kind of more um, uh, mature. Not, necess- I don't mean like you know, uh, X-rated or anything, but it was just like, um, uh, like working with Brian on Northlanders really informed my storytelling uh, because it was a totally different story to superhero romps, you know. Um, which, and then again, love superheroes, like I, you know, I love all that stuff. But you know. You know, when Warren said, "What do you want to do?" I gave him basically a list of like Deadwood, uh, you know, Deadwood and Sopranos and The Wire. He's like, "Yeah, we're on the same page." And um, that's that's Fantastic. the content that I love, and I'm not producing that at all. Um, so while I enjoy superheroes, I don't want to. I don't want to be in ten years doing that and then resenting it. You know, I I would much prefer do something um, to to you know an exercise of my sensibilities and then go back to it. You know, charged and wanting to like experiment and, and do stuff but I, I one thing I knew that was valuable about myself um, especially seeing Geordie work with other artists and how very unreliable a lot of them can be that my because again you know coming from Ireland I think we have a very good work ethic because all the guys I know from Ireland are like you know meet their deadlines you know like there's no there's no bollocks with any of that like so cool. knowing that I was in a position where I had some high profile work um, and knowing that it was on time, being on time in itself is a major, major advantage, uh, which I would not have thought of that before. And I would have just thought, well, if you you know, if you're given a job, you should be on time. Then seeing how unreliable you're like, oh, wow, I guess it is kind of weird to be on time. Um, and th- that itself is, I think, especially with an image book is is very, um, uh, I don't want to say lucrative, but it's very, um, it's very important because 
the last thing I'm sure Image want is that kind of perception of late books all the time. And, yeah, absolutely. Man. And I think, you know, I think you really feel it. If the sales go down on the book that you're making, you make less money. I think you're really going to feel um, how valuable the reliability is. So um, I kind of held out and I, I, you know, every project Marvel gave me was always better than the last. I have to say, you know, Thunderbolt, I loved Thunderbolts and then doing Venom, which was not a team book. That was great. <laughs> that was a lot easier to draw. Um, and then from there on to Deadpool, which is, you know, I mean, yes. I, I was happy on Venom, but then when I was on Deadpool, I'm like, oh, wow, this sells way more. Way more people are aware of me. And then Moon Knight with Warren. And it's, it, every, every single project has been better than the last. I think I just felt at the stage with Marvel and their publishing schedule, the only step up would be on a book that I couldn't have owners, the authorship that I had with Moon Knight. And having basically having input on the cover design having like, you know, like um, input over like the color scheme and like, you know, was, you know, the, the six issues of Moon Knight were quite deliberately planned and the, the covers even, the last cover is an inverse inverse of the first cover and, and I got to draw the inverted cover rather than just having to do it in Photoshop. Having all those kind of elements and having input, very hard to, to, to not have that. And Marvel were great in fairness, like they, they really let us do a, a cool book. So, but when Warren said, do you want to do a creator own one? I'm like, I get to have more of this, like, and even, you know, with conversations about like, um, uh, I am about the trade. I mean, my, my plans for the trade are to do fi- fi- um, fine art lithographs. Uh, I, I studied fine art in college and I used to do printmaking, like, you know, wood blocks and screen prints and, and lithographs. And, you know, I want to do a lithograph for the trade cover. And I got the idea when I was at Marvel, but I'm like, could never do that at Marvel just because, the you know it, it's too, the turnaround from inception to finished art is way too it's way too fast to do like spend a week working on one image you know but I get to have that luxury now and I get to you know have some thoughts on the trade design and um it's 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 really exciting like um it's a uh, it's also terrifying <laughs> but um I, I I think that was basically my decision at that point was do I want less control over my career or a little bit more control of my career. Um, because, and again, nothing against Marvel, but like there, there are certain slots. They can't, they can't give me, you know, uh, I don't know, Daredevil or Ms. Marvel or for, for whatever reason, because there's people on those books and there's contracts and there's, you know, I'm completely realistic. Um, you know, I can't just demand what I want and get it. There, if there is a slot for, you know, if I said, give me Wolverine, they can't give me Wolverine. He's dead. <laughs> you know, like, so to be realistic, and since I had the option of maybe doing something on my own for a while, and I mean, I don't know what Marvel are going to do, but like, I mean, you know, if there's space in the market for a book where you can do 12 issues and walk away uh, onto another project, that'd be amazing. But um, I, uh, yeah, I'm much happier having the control over doing the book that we're doing, telling a story that I'm, I'm you know, that I care about um, and having uh, all the all the benefits that come with that. Um, I'm very lucky. Like, I mean, not everybody gets to have a book with Warren Ellis. And when he asked what I wanted to do, yeah, when he asked what I wanted to do, I'm like, oh, something long. Because all the projects I've done at Marvel have been like five issues or three issues or six issues. And I want to have a, you know, I'd like to have a chunk of work. Um, sure. Again, it's not it's just not that feasible to do at Marvel right now. Where do you see the big story for Injection in terms of length? Um, because this is another conversation that I uh, am having a lot with uh, people that are putting out their own books and don't have the support of a of a DC or Marvel who can guide you when you're in the seventh uh, collection and you know 
the the as I've said before, uh, using Jason Aaron as an example, you know, the seventy issues for Scalp, yeah. or God, Azarello's hundred bullets being a hundred issues and stuff. You know, those days are over. So, yeah. what is what 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 is satisfying as far as a length, and also, you know, I mean, do you have these discussions with Warren in terms of? I mean, yeah, well, to, you know, to be honest, straight from the the get go, when I said I wanted to do something more long form, um, he straight away said um, twenty five issues. Five five issue volumes. I think he's seen them as as um as, as, as five graphic novels, basically. Sure, Is sure. It, what's the what's the phrase he has? A, um, a graphic novel, a serialized. Oh, I can't remember the phrase he had in the press release, but something like a serialized graphic novel or something like that, where it was um because I mean also an artist can get burnout, and I I don't want to like get bored with the characters, but um Absolutely. and I've noticed every time I switch to a project. So when I went from Thunderbolts to um, uh, Venom to Deadpool to Moon Knight, there was a significant jump in my work. I think a new project kind of injects a lot more enthusiasm and um, uh, ideas uh, for an artist. So, you know, I don't want to do a book for 70 issues. That would probably drive me insane. And also I find sometimes that when I'm, you know, what put me off reading um, uh, DMZ, I think I remember I was like, I wanted to read a new book. And I saw DMZ, there were so many volumes of it. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm up for that, you know. So I just picked up a, I just picked off a one-off graphic novel, and, and, and that was great. There's times where I want to read something long, and there's times where I want to read something short. Um, I think, I mean, I can't say it was my idea, because Warren, I think Warren's very specifically planning it as five graphic novels, because he, for, it was interesting, he said that the structure was what came to him before the the, yeah, the story itself. So I think the story is informed by the structure of, of it, so it's not going to be, you know, we're not going to add on another issue for the laugh or to, to get more money. I think it's very, and also I have to be honest, I'm not exactly sure what's coming because I'm really only going. I have a rough idea, but I'm kind of each each issue I get is is new to me. So, in a way, it, it kind of um, what was cool with Moon Knight is I didn't really know what's coming. So when I get the next issue, I'm like, I'm like, what he he goes into a dream world with mushrooms. I'm like, oh, geez. like, but as, as intimidating as that is, it always forced me to, as much as I said, each project made me feel like I was getting better. I felt like each issue of Moon Knight was making me get better. So I'd like to know what's coming, but with injection, I'm, I'm pretty much just seeing what each issue brings. Um, and it's a uh, more and more craziness. Um, the thing I'm drawing now, oh, good God, uh, <laughs> take ages. but, um, um, I, I think from a reader's point of view, I, I think uh, I think five books is good because often also for for you know quote unquote business reasons, I think if we're going to do an image book, um, you should stay on it for a while. I, I don't. I, I like the idea of building a project and like having a first a first um, trade and then you know more issues and then the trade you know builds up and and hopefully supports the book as it develops. Um, I. Uh, I, I think that's what I wanted to do, and I can see that it's, it's, it, it makes sense from a financial point of view, where if the book does well, it facilitates its own existence. <laughs> um, and uh, I, again, it's, I hadn't had a chance to do it, so I think, I think all things considered, I mean, it's working out timing-wise. Um, but then again, the market could change. Maybe people just don't want to read a serialized story as much. I don't know, man. I, I, I think the contrary. I really do think that... Um there's an adult audience already that appreciates this stuff and it's only getting bigger as uh, people's tastes kind of mature. And I don't mean to, to diminish superhero stuff because I love good superhero yeah, stuff. Yeah, same too. here, man. I'm, but, I'm reading, but, I'm reading, I still read a lot of it. Like, 
Yeah, but but and I think what we're saying, and I think most most listeners would agree too, that um, superhero stories have have obviously evolved and allowed more dramatic moments and character moments as they've evolved. Um, but now, and there always have been great straight up dramatic comics. They've always been more in the alternative section of uh, the comic uh, stores, and you know, Warren has a, has a bit of that. But but I do think that you. As you, the examples you've given in terms of The Wire and Deadwood and Sopranos, um, that that kind of story can absolutely work in comic form as well. And I think that more of you are doing that. I, as you as you described uh, the twenty five issues, that's the feel that I get from uh, Chaikin and uh, Fractions Satellite Sand, mm-hmm. and, you know, and certainly Sex Criminals as well, for that matter. But that's the thing; it is a, it is a it is a finite story, but it it, it reads like a novel. And I really feel that way about yeah, Sam, like all those especially. all those shows, you know, like uh, The Wire. They did end. <laughs> yes, you know, the, there was a yes. story to tell, and the story was told, and then it, it ended. And um, I mean, the plan is to do five books, but I mean, if the book doesn't do well, then that might significantly change. <laughs> um, but I, I do, I do like. I mean, I do considering like uh, not to be again too 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 businessy or whatnot, but considering. That as this Egypt here, I'm pointing at myself, has managed to trick Warren Ellis to writing a book uh, for him. Um, if I can get a bit of longevity and um, tell a longer story, if this is my one chance to do that, then you know, fuck it. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing it. You know, and if it goes back, to, you know, because also, you know, again, from artist's point of view, like if I just disappeared and did a graphic novel for two years. You know, people's attention spans are pretty short, and it's really yes. easy for a writer to keep a public profile. They can do their their um, their own personal work and then keep keep their name out there, doing various bits and bobs for for whatever companies. But you know, for for an artist, it's it's um, recognition or, or being seen to work is very important. Which is why you know I've been doing so many covers in the last while. I I just wanted to make sure that I was still out there. You know that my stuff is seen because if you're not seen, I think people consider either you can't get work, you know, no, because nobody wants to to hire you anymore, or or um, or that you've quit or something, you know. Um, sure. I, th- I think that like the the con, con the consumption of media is so fast now that um, it's it's very difficult to kind of get lost in the in the uh, the, the noise, you know. Absolutely, out of sight, out of mind, and and I think um, also. This is Ethan Van Skyver has made this point as well, and and talked about specific artists that he's like, I kind of thought they were out of the business, but no, they were working not for Marvel and not for DC, and there is that fear of getting lost in the shuffle if you're not on a on a book that is you know really getting a lot of eyeballs. And, well, and the also the double shipping, the double shipping thing, like you know, you could yeah. easily be doing a mainstream book and people not know because if you pick up a random issue of say. Uh, Captain uh, America, and you're not say, let's just say somebody swaps a Stuart Dimmon, and you're not Stuart Stuart Dimmon, and nobody's even noticing because because you can you, you can work for five months doing three or four issues, and they can come out in the space of two, of two months. Let's just say three issues. You spend mm-hmm. four months doing three issues, and then those three issues come out in the space of two months or a month and a half. And if somebody misses those like three issues because they're not in the comic shop for two months. You might as well not even exist, you know. It's very hard. Yeah. It's like you can even even doing mainstream work, you can get lost. I remember I was told somebody I was I was drawing Venom, and they had no idea, even though they were buying the book because they just hadn't picked it up in a few weeks, and I had done like four issues or something. Um, 
I remember that was very kind of jarring to me. I'm like, really? Like I'm doing mainstream work and you have, you know, uh, yeah, it can, it can, it can be difficult, which is why I'm all the more happy to be doing like every single month injection will come out. Uh, there'll be a gap for a month where the trade will come out and then the next five issues. And, you know, and there's, I mean, I think people are perfectly willing to, to wait a month. Um, Oh, absolutely. If, especially if there's if they're getting a collection in the meantime, I think that model, whoever came up with it, I think is excellent. Because I really, I, you know, as a fan, I don't mind waiting two months if it gives people the. I much prefer have them have the space to tell the story rather than have to. Because the last thing I want to do is rush any pages as well. I want it to be certainly the best stuff I can do. You know, I completely understand, and I think also stores. Uh, and that's that's you know an important part of the equation as well. That if you explain to them this is what we're doing, then you know all the then the communication is passed to the reader, and it's uh, hey no you know no new injection this month. No, this is the skip month. The trades come in out in a week, and then they'll be back next month. Okay. Yeah, I, I actually I think you know and then we know I what's going on. Some you breathing know? room for some retailers as well, and and for some like um uh, Jordy Jordy's working in a book, and she's like oh thank God, like <laughs> she found a space in in a in one of her weeks because the book's on hiatus for a month, you know. Sure. It, it, I think that breathing room really helps sometimes. And again, if retailers know, then they can accommodate for that. If they're waiting for issue three and it's just not coming, what the hell are they supposed to do? You know, it leaves them in a right. pretty bad, bad position. No, it costs some money, absolutely, man. And it, no, I, I can appreciate that. Is uh, and I, I want to ask about Jordy before I forget in terms of how you know. So prior to Moon Knight, how much of her stuff had had she colored for you? Um, actually, just Deadpool. Um, Okay. It was, okay. Really, it was really annoying. I I introduced her to Marvel. I got her name at the door and was there for two years. Could not get her on my stuff. And hilarious. Yeah, hilarious. I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm laughing. But it hilarious is. Because it didn't happen to you, John. Um, <laughs> it's in the past, man. Yeah, right. I know, I know. <laughs> Actually, in a way, I'm kind of glad. Like, because because I, I was working on Thunderbolts, and she did she did some pages on one of the issues where uh, they're time traveling. Um, because Frank Martin couldn't do it. So and I was delighted to get to work with her. But um, I think what ultimately, I was very frustrated because you know, I really I just thought she got my sensibilities and she made my work better and I wanted to, to, to work with her more. Um, but you know, there's always various like um, timing issues and schedule issues and contract issues when you're working with companies where that couldn't happen. When it got to, um, actually, I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you this, when I was on Venom, and um, they, uh, I was offered Deadpool, and to be honest, didn't like Deadpool. No interest in the character. Um, so they said, "Would you do? You know, be interested in doing an arc of Deadpool?" And I said, "I'll do it if I can get." Because um, uh, I was trying to get on covers at the time as well. Okay. I was like, "I'll do it if I can get if I can if I can do the covers and Jordy colors me." And at the time, Tony Moore was doing covers, so like, we're not really sure about covers, and we're not sure about Jordy. I'm like, "Well, then I then I then I won't do it." Um, uh, now, I mean. Because I had Venom, so I was happy, you know? Sure, I, sure. I didn't need to do it. Um, I was getting to do the covers on Venom, so I would do another book that, you know, because I didn't realize how much Deadpool sold. <laughs> it was very easy for me to be like this, because one, I didn't know how much Deadpool sold. Two, I didn't know that Venom was being cancelled. <laughs> so I was like, this is what I want. I was very easy to be hardball, because I had no idea I was standing on quicksand. Um, <laughs> but as it turned out, Tony Moore wasn't doing covers anymore, and... You know, uh, I'm sure Val Staples could do with the break uh, for for an arc. So so it worked out. So ever since that happened, I basically clamped onto Jordy. So any covers I do, I you know give them to Jordy. And uh, I think I did a short story for Wolverine and the X Men with Jason Latour and uh, uh, Matt Wilson color, just because I love Matt stuff. And that was cool. that was kind of fun. Um, 
but then generally, yeah, once I once I managed to get Jordi on my stuff, and and also in the time in which I was working my way up at Marvel, and she was like working at like DC and Image and uh, at Marvel and whatnot. I think by the time she came on my work, um, she she got to work on my, my stuff. I think what I would have hated would if is if she was seen as Declan Shalvey's colorist, if you know what I mean. I understand. Um, or at the time, I just wanted her on my stuff. I think it might have it might have maybe hurt her in a way because if she was coloring my stuff and she was seen as my girlfriend, that might have just... Sure. Whereas what happened was she made a name for herself on Manhattan Projects, on... God, I can't even remember what she was working on back then. She's doing loads of books on Mara. She totally made a name for herself. So by the time we actually did get to work together, it was kind of a bigger deal that, you know, she, she had her own kind of uh, following and I had my own following. And we just kind of, you know... We came together and made 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 good work. Hopefully, no, um, I get. It. I think in the yeah, long I mean, run, it actually I think worked out much better. And then she won an Eisner, and you know, <laughs> no, absolutely, and and seriously, and you know, I was disappointed when we were uh, messaging each other about this conversation. I'm like, hey, man, I really want to talk to Jordy too, and you're like, hey, man, she's too busy. Like, she is. Well. Like, <laughs> Well, it's, it's better better to be straight up with you because there's other podcasts where we said we do, and because again, some bomb drops in her lap, she can't do it. So, I you know, it. It's, well, at least I could guarantee you, I could talk to you. Whereas Jordy's asleep right now because she was up all night. Aww. Oh, <laughs> it's it's not a new thing. It happens a lot. What the hell is she working on now? Oh yeah, well I don't know, just in case. But um, yeah, she is, she has to get a book in for Monday, so she's up all night, and now she's just she's she's crashing for a while. I'm hip. No, I understand, man. Well, uh, you know, even if we could do like a convention floor interview sometime, are you guys coming to San Diego or, um, or, I, or Chicago? Uh, I'm I'm going to New York, uh, not Chicago this year. I, I kind of wanted to make sure I don't do any American conventions for the next few months so I can kind of concentrate on getting injection. Understood. Know, once that lead time starts to go, it's gone, you know, so I'm trying to make sure. I'm hip, yeah, yeah. I, I would love to go to Emerald City, for example, uh, this next weekend. Whatever it is, yeah, it's yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, I, I, mean, I went I, last year and I loved it. I'd love to go again this year, but it, like to take a week off or a week and a half off, you know, with the book coming out in a month, just yeah. a bit irresponsible, you know. Um, so, but uh, New York definitely going to do. Um, San Diego, um, I don't know. I I did it last year because we were we we announced the book. Um, if right. if Injection's a smash, I might do it. I mean, I went and had had a great time, but um. Uh, you know, I know it's very media centric and whatnot, but it was really, really great to launch the book. If the book does, put it this way, if the book does well, um, I think it would warrant me going over to support it. Otherwise, I'd probably be better off just drawing it, you know. Um, Understood. But, uh, sure. Yeah, see, see how it goes, basically. Yeah, if, it, if it does well, I'd, I'd probably consider going to San Diego. Um, well, but otherwise, it's just the time. Because going over, there's one thing, then getting back and being wrecked for days afterwards, it really, um, really wear, uh, takes its toll, you know. Oh no, I do know. I mean, and I'm I'm not drawing, and and believe me, I'm drained, yeah. and you know, have to go and have you know have to go back to make uh, commercials and stuff for radio, and it's yeah, yeah it's well, even I'd, I'd love to promote the book because New York Comic Con, the trade will be out, and I realize I'll not have done any American, you know, appearances, because um, again, Warren doesn't really do them, so I kind of feel like right, you know, I you know because I love going to conventions and stuff like, so I feel like I should, but um, uh. I, I would like to do an American show before the trade comes out because that's a you know that's five whole issues and I, I'd like to be able to to support the book a little like that like that you know. Sure, absolutely. Well, by way of injection issue one, I'm like, yeah, I can go to San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, yeah, at the very least, New York. But if not, yeah, I hope I'll see you in San Diego then. And I, I um, well, I want to. 
all right, because I should stay with San Diego because we're talking about it right now. What was it like last year doing that Image Expo? It was on Wednesday. It was on preview day. It was before the convention opened. And honestly, I, I have to hand it to um, everybody over at Image for uh, having having that kind of smartness to give everybody something to do while we're waiting for preview night to start. And certainly when you've got that much press sitting around doing nothing – does not hurt to have you know Eric uh, come out with everybody and say, "Hey, uh, look at the new cars for 1999," uh, as the as we used to say at the auto show. But I mean, that's you know that had that feel, but in a good way of like it was a lot of fun being in the audience. And I, I wonder, as one of the presenters, what it was like. Oh man, it was, and especially it was especially savage. the way they did your guys too, because you guys were like the big surprise. Yeah, I didn't was safe I, till the end. I didn't know that though. <laughs> like, I was. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, working uh, working for Marvel is all is all I ever wanted to do as a kid, and 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 so I'm, I'm amazingly fortunate to have, to have been able to do it, and I I love working there. When all the image announcements for like Black Science stuff were happening, you know, you can't help as as a creator go, oh, that's exciting. You know, that is exciting. Like you know, it's not an event, and it's not a, you know, it's 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 people doing new books, and that's it. it it'd be really cool to be a part of that. So to actually be a part of it is. It's it's just great. It's really really cool. I gotta say, because like, it's it's probably one of the most exciting things to happen in comics in a long long time. Not that just that there's more creator owned content, but the fact that it's it's selling. You know, I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know why it's selling now, but I mean, all it does is make it's just good for creators and the the better position creators are in with their own work. You know, the harder the companies have to to work to 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 please them, um, and. You know, you're seeing all these um, great books coming out of Marvel, like Howard the Duck and all this stuff. And, you know, I think I read Axel Alonso saying that, you know, they're they're less micromanaged. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that there's, I don't uh, do good work, but giving creators the space to do a book certainly helps. And, you know, to edit the book rather than um, micromanage the book uh, is 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 the best way, way, way to do it. And see, I, I think that the more the stronger image is, that the stronger creators are. Um and to be there on the night, like, because that was the thing I saw Dustin Nguyen there and Jeff Lemire. I'm like, oh, hey, what are you guys doing here? Like, oh, we're doing a book. Fuck off, really? It was, <laughs> it was savage. Like, um, it was great. And all these, and I saw that yeah, Gabriel Hardman. It was just cool seeing all these people who were doing their own stuff. I was genuinely That's excited cool. for them all. But as it was going on, because we were in a room out the side, um, mm-hmm. I was like, Geez, you know, what's the story with this? And then everybody had gone pretty much ahead of me. <laughs> so I was like, what? I didn't know when I was going on, and then I think somebody told me your last. I was like, "Oh bollocks, really?" Because um, <laughs> again, I had no idea how big these books. Are. I mean, War, you know, Warren's a big writer, and you know, I'm certainly doing okay. But I certainly didn't think that we would be, you know, out there as a big deal. Um, but yeah, we were. That was <laughs> that was that was it was class like. Um, uh, you were you, you were live and Warren is on uh, on screen via via Skype. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was joking around or saying like, oh, so what's it like working with Warren? So I just started talking shite about how he's like, you know, uh, I don't know. I probably suggested he was a pimp or some kind of drug fiend. And then there was this ominous voice, you know, in the air going, I can hear you. It was like it was the most Warren Ellisy thing you could imagine. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, yeah, no, it was it was it was really really great. Um, it was genuinely exciting. Um, uh, we'd pretty much just like figured out what we were doing. So um, and it was great to go to San Diego. I've, I've told this story a few times. I went there years ago with um, uh, with Sliney, who's uh, who's drawing Spider Man twenty ninety nine now, 
And we were total nobodies. Like we, I think, had one thing published in a small press in the UK, and you know we had a blast. But I'd never been since. Um, I didn't see the point in going to San Diego unless I had a book of my own to promote, or if I was on a big Marvel book. I didn't really think that big Marvel thing would ever happen. But as it turned out, I did have a book <laughs> uh, years later. So to go back, like I think it was like seven or eight years later, it was it was just a completely different experience. Um, uh, it, it was it was amazing. Like um, and you know that I did I signed the Marvel booth and I did the the panels and whatnot. But it, it was it was great because I I didn't I I would don't think I'd ever go to San Diego and work at the show because frankly, I've got better things to do. You know, I, if I was going to work that hard, I'd prefer to stay at home and do my book. You know what I mean? I was going to work all day long and, and, ki- and kill, kill myself trying to make enough money to cover the, the expenses. Those, that time would be better spent at home making my book. Um, but it was essentially just promotion and, and talking about the book and signing like flyers and whatnot. But it was, it was great. It was really exciting. And, you know, it's the reason I would like to go back with the book under my arm this year, um, whether or not it happens. But um, it, it's great being on the inside looking out uh, and feeling like you're doing something new and something different. Um, uh, it's, it is also with with that also comes a certain amount of terror as well, though. I can appreciate that. Now back to Jordy because I'm interested in the collaboration. Ah, to hell um, with her. She's got nicer. <laughs> <laughs> but how, you know, honestly, how much of her art influences what you are doing as your art evolves? Um, influences more will be the shouting. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, even last night we're harsh critic. Um, well, she is a harsh critic, I have to say. Um, last night I was showing her some pencil pages, and she's like, "This arm kind of looks a little bit off." And I told you here, I was just tired at the time, so I was like, you know, I just argue with her, just argue, just stupid. But um, she, um, she's very, very ruthless as regards critiquing my work because there's times where she'd say, "Oh, I, you know, that that looks a little bit off." After I finished it, and I've told her, I'd much prefer you tell me as I'm working on it rather than afterwards because there's fuck all I can do about it now, you know. Because <laughs> uh, you know, when it's done, like you just you know, you can't just be you know continuously tweaking, 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 tweaking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, but yeah, she's pretty ruthless when when it comes to pencils. She'll be ruthless because she because I'll always I generally work, I'll pencil ten pages and then I'll maybe do a couple of covers and I'll come back to the pages and ink them. So by the time I'm inking them, there's been enough space between me drawing them and and uh, finalizing them that I can find things that look wrong, like that nose looks a little bit off or that hand looks too small. Um, if, if I was legit, legitimately drawing a, a, a finished page every day, I'd make way more mistakes or it'd be may, way more weird drawing. So in a way, I get to like do another pass on editing the artwork. But having Geordie go over them with a completely unbiased eye, you know, she might catch the odd tangent or, or mm-hmm. what did she spot? She thought one arm was too small on one panel and one face didn't didn't match the character sheet. I'm like, ah, fuck it. But, but, you know, she's she's right. You know, I've, I've enough... Um, <laughs> After we argued enough times, I, I you know I realized while especially with coloring, I remember one of the first things she colored was this Batman piece I did for for fun, and I drew like um, the you know the bat load, the bat symbol or uh, what's it called the bat signal uh, in the background, and in my mind it would have been a big yellow and it would have been really bright and illuminate the whole scene. And when she colored it, she didn't do that at all. She just did a color hold on the line drawing that I did. And remember at the time she was upset because she thought I didn't like it. But all that happened is I didn't. I that wasn't what was in my head, and I had to balance. I had to battle what was in my head with what was done, and decide just because it wasn't what was in my head, didn't necessarily mean that it was any, any worse. You know, I mm-hmm. once I realized that 
the same with Warren. When Warren does something great, it's better to take his idea and take credit for it than to not. So when Jordy does something great, I just take credit for it, you know. Um, <laughs> unless I absolutely disagree, but I mean, generally, she comes up with something more interesting. Just because it wasn't in my head doesn't mean that it's not it's it's not better, you know. So I have to kind of sit back and go. Actually, that is more interesting. We did a Spider Man and X Men cover recently, and she coloured the background hot pink, and I never would have thought of doing that. Not in a million years, but it looked great, you know. Um, so I think you'll find that kind of. Um, her artistic input always makes something better. I think the I think the people who battle her on those decisions are 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 shooting themselves in the foot pretty much. <laughs> I understand. And no, and you know, I, honestly, I haven't had that many colorists on because I'm still figuring out how to really interview them. And and it's and it should. I don't know. Maybe it's just a self conscious thing on my part. But I'm I'm. I'm not sure beyond evoking mood what what you know we can talk about and lettering even uh, to a degree it took a long time for me to kind of well, lose. Well, the more specialized things. I mean, and you know, don't want me saying so, John. I mean, your podcast is kind of more writer centric, and I feel like that's Absolutely something you can you can you are confident to talk about. Um, so I understand, like you know, it's um, uh, if there's actual more process things or it's difficult it's more difficult to talk about um right because you don't know what's inside the engine yeah you don't know how but but honestly deck the great thing is is that i do eventually get comfortable with some of you guys like yourself and i think you you're you're informing a lot and i'm i'm pleased as hell with where the conversation has gone because um you're right and i and sometimes i get self-conscious about that as a listener please tell me i i i know i am writer-centric and it's from where, where i come from too obviously but, you know, do you do sometimes like, fuck, man, let's have a fucking artist. Where the hell have you been? Well, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it's not, it's not <laughs> the case where I'm like, come on, John, there's no fucking artist. But I, I, I just realized that, like, from listening to the podcast, you can talk to a, you can talk to Ed Brubaker and he can talk about all these different projects. Because, you mean, there's more to talk about. You know, I, we're having a good conversation because we're going over basically the entire career I've had. And, um, sure, man. you know, there's just more content to a degree unless you want to get into the specifics of, of making a book, which, you know, isn't necessarily the most interesting thing to talk about. Um, so I get it, you know, I mean, I guess that like, uh, it, it generally happens in comics press more often that you talk to a writer because, you know, if you want to ask me what's happening with the characters in injection, like I told you, I don't fucking know. Like, so, <laughs> You know, and if you care about these characters and you want to know, talking to me isn't really going to help because you know it's in Warren's brain, and and we'll do it. To, we'll do it together. But you know, if you care about um, uh, Magneto, and um, you know, you're going to want to talk to Colin because he's writing the book. Is generally sure. what what happens at press wise. So I understand why it's 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 used that way. But I mean, you know, there's there's other podcasts which are way more artist centric to talk about craft and whatnot. I I don't think it's criticism of your show because it's not like you're like I refuse to talk to. Him. Oh, no, no, no. And, and, well, and there's, I always, you know, go back to the metaphoric uh, magazine shelf in terms of, you know, Time, American publications, so forgive me, but Time Magazine and Newsweek were able to sit on the same shelf and and find an audience. And it's okay for uh, guys like Sidebar or Sean Crystal's fine podcast. Mm -hmm. And I imagine he uh, might get more intense as far as uh, uh, talking art with you in process. I'm not, I'm just guessing. But, um, 
you know, I mean, that's the thing. No, there's, I think the fact that we all do come at it from a different angle just means there's more to listen to, and we could even have the same guest on, but talk about very different things, and that's great. I mean, you know, no, I, I'm more the merrier as far as intelligent, smart uh, podcasts, and the two that I mentioned offhand are ones that I do respect, and I think yeah. they're very smart guys. You know, Sean's a guy that I really got to get on Word Balloon at some point. I, he's, I love his art, and, you know, you, you know, it sucks, and just like you do in Deadpool, I didn't like the character either, man. Yeah, well, that's why I, I I totally missed and and the one time I did uh, make myself read some Deadpool was when uh, Brian and and Jerry were doing that Infinite comic. Oh with, yeah. with and I'm forgetting his name now. The artist I think it was uh, Riley I, Brown. I think it is Riley Brown, and that's the thing. And it was so great to talk to Riley, and it was such a great conversation. And also, fuck, I'm like, this is really funny, and it's great. And yeah, I, I can only handle Deadpool in small, clever doses. And luckily, Jerry and Brian are those kinds of guys. And Jerry certainly since has more than proven it uh, as he continues, you know, with his writing career. Yeah, and so, honestly, I, I tried out Deadpool when Jerry and Brian took it over. Um, and the only reason I really was interested in doing it is because, like, Jerry actually seemed pretty like a sound guy, and I thought the book was was good. You know, um, yeah. that's, 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 so that's, that, that was my entry point. As it turned out, the art that I did was really, really emotionally uh, harrowing and um, uh, really, like, very, very hardcore, which um, suited my storytelling great. So I was very, of all the arcs to do of Deadpool, that was the, definitely the one for me. Um, okay. And uh, working with Jerry was great. Like, that's, I, I can't sing that, that guy's praises enough. Um, but, uh, you know, and I'm still reading the book now because when Geordie colors a lot of issues as well. But, um, uh, yeah, just the character wasn't particularly... I mean, it worked, worked out great, as it, as it turned out. I got to do my own covers. I got to have Geordie color it. And it was a story I, I was actually legitimately cared about because I actually felt like I understood the character from that story rather than before, you know. Uh, I, I really didn't. There was no entry point for me. I just didn't care about him. But that, yeah. that arc did make yeah. me care. Okay, that's cool. No, that's that's excellent, man. And I and I'm glad to hear that. And it does make me want to actually like dig more into <laughs> more Deadpool. So that's fine. I think that's terrific. Uh, Deck, this is great, man. I, I'm so happy for you. And what I was uh, meant to say too is, um, as you say. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, obviously the the comic news blogs and the podcasts we we focus more on the writers, but I do think that the market is changing, and because of the opportunities that are there with image books and stuff, I, I we, and it's funny. Uh, there was a party last night at uh, Art and Franco's uh, store in uh, suburban Chicago, and and we were talking about where the balance is right now. And in fact, I think I was talking to. I can't remember if it was Gary Gianni, Mike Mignola was there, Hillary Barta was there, but just that it, where is the balance in terms of in the 90s it was artists first as far as well, what was bringing people in. It's funny you should mention that. I was actually just on Twitter complaining about this. Um, Please. I was um, looking at um, a uh, news feed, a Twitter news feed of a, a certain uh, website, and they, were, um, they talked about a preview for a book, and the book has two writers and one artist. And they, were, and they basically said a preview of, and they mentioned the two writers' name and not the artist. And it annoyed me because I've seen it happen to that specific book a few times. And from my point of view, if you have two people writing it and one person drawing it, like, it would make more sense to leave out one writer than leave out the artist. You know? I understand. And I was like, you know what? Maybe they don't have a, twi- uh, a Twitter. So I looked it up. They do have a Twitter. So I was even more annoyed. Because all it really takes, and I understand that the writers are probably more high profile, but if the two writers are high profile, 
and you go with a one eye profile rider, surely the artist could do with that. I mean, they say like there's there's an, an artist called uh, Sarah McIntyre, and um, I've been following a hashtag of hers called uh, Pictures Me Business, where she works in the children's illustration. Um, uh, uh, business and um, okay. she was making the point about how all these listings for children's books credit the writer and not the artist right. wow. at, at all um, and one book won an award and the award went to the writer and not and the artist didn't get any credit and I think it's wow. a very similar thing as regards you know um, and again like, I understand why the press moves towards writing for the for the reasons I mentioned earlier but it's, I think that it's kind of lazy overall when I agree. people aren't just even crediting uh, the, the artist. Um, and it's a case where, and whenever I kind of bring it up, somebody always goes like, oh, well, the 90s were this way. I don't give a fuck. Like, That's right. Like, that, look, I'm not saying that the writers should have more importance over the, um, the, the writers. And I want to be very, very clear about that. My problem is that the writers are getting an, a, a, norm, a normal amount of... Um, the credit and profile from the work, which, and again, it might just sound like an artist complaining, takes them like a week to write a script, say, whereas it takes five weeks to, to draw something. So our, from an artist's point of view, our, our window for self-promotion, uh, our window to climb the ladder is an awful lot smaller than it is for a writer who can, say, do a passion project and work for a higher project and whatnot. So it's kind of all the more important we get our get. And again, I'm not saying we need deserve more credit, just equal, you know. Um, I agree. It's 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 it, especially what I was saying with double shipping, and you know what, my my you could have three issues come out in one month. Your the spotlight is, is is harder and harder and harder. Where kind of writers can can generally have an ubiquitous control over what's what's there because they can have say what five projects, therefore something they could can promote each month, and even to the degree where. Uh, you know, say Mark Miller's all his books be made into films, and the recent deal yes. with Kelly Sue and and Matt, and like congratulations to them and fair fair play. But you know, it's not like it's going the other way. Like if 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 Matt's let's just say um, Sex Criminals be made into a movie, which I don't like, I have no idea. But let's say it is. Um, I I think that every you know then it's like hmm, so what else has Matt Fraction done? And they're not they're not going to be looking at what. Uh, shifted or, or if um, yeah. you know um, Bendis and Daredevil um, uh, all the stuff they're like oh what else did Brian Michael Bendis do and no one's really following Alex Maleev to the same degree and it's Understood. it's um, it's I mean it's not it, it's and again, again I just have to clarify because I, I don't want any writers to think that I'm like you know we deserve uh, you know more credit you know that's not my argument at all argument is just you know equal credit you know, it's it's not as it's not a comic until it's drawn. Otherwise, it's just a script. And the reason I, I mentioned earlier is what I love about comics is the authorship. And the more that con- the artists are kind of phased out of the process, or the the um, the the press, um, like I remember when the the announcement about Kelly Sue and Matt, uh, the artists weren't mentioned. And in fairness to them both, they totally rectified that and made sure all the artists were credit, credit. and it's not, it's not their fault I'm not blaming them in any way shape or form but, but generally the attitude of the public or the, the fandom or the, the press or whoever is responsible clearly is looking at the writer and the artist doesn't really matter you know and from a business point of view you know it's going to come to a point where I'm not going to be able to draw as much as I can anymore and there's only so much I'm going to be able to do and you know in the in the, in the, the 
the realm of realm of my career, the span of my career, um, if I'm always kind of like fighting to get attention for the work that I'm doing. Uh, I mean, look, I'm fine. In fairness, I'm doing just fine. I'm kind of this book I'm talking about isn't a massive book, but it matters to me that the work that the artist does is kind of just like glossed over. And the more that happens, it makes it harder for that artist to make a name for themselves. And, um, you know, like uh, Scott Snyder does a book, The Witches, and that's a smash. And Raphael Albuquerque uh, does um, his book, um, Eight. And now I don't know what that that's selling, but I know that there isn't as much attention for that book, even though they both did a film, are doing a brilliant book, American Vampire, you know. it is. I think there's something in the culture of fandom, or for whatever it is, the appetite is more for writers right now, and in fairness, that that's being met. It's not it's not really there for for artists. I feel that we generally have to we have to claw for more. Like the the amount of times I see something on like as a you know various uh, websites where it's like um, random writer will say uh, I don't want to make it specific to anybody, but let's just say somebody's working for Marvel and they're like their new book at Marvel, and you know. If you look at the the, the 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 press release, the artist's name is in there, but it's not in the headline. No, I agree. And I know that might. I just may. Say, I'm sorry if I'm just having a rant here. Like I, I realize I might just seem no, like exactly. I'm being insecure or whatnot. But like, you know, artists could do their name in there. I'm not asking for it to be in headlights. Just this, their second name, right? You know, it really, really bugs me because um, it's so difficult for us to to claw any bit of attention that we can. Because without us, there's no book. I'm one of those assholes, man. I mean, if you listen to a recent word balloon, I guarantee you on one of my commercials for in-stock trades, I'm talking writer more than artist, and it's yeah, shame that's on a good point. Right? I see there's and, um, and, on Comicsology there'll be sales for a certain a certain uh, uh, writer. I think writer. I think it's I think we're not seen as co-authors, not by writers. In fairness, I'm not saying oh, no, writers I are understand. doing this, no, but maybe it's, some it's if they're assholes, the but like generally they're fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's the attitude of that like. You know, Hickman is an author, so you can read East of West and you can read, um, uh, you can read, you know, all his various books. But like, you know, I'm, I'm sure Nick Trugada is not seen the same way, even though he I is. He is a, a co-author of the work. Oh my that God, he yes. Oh my God, yes. Absolutely, no. And you're you're a hundred percent right. And really, go to the classics. Watchmen is as brilliant as the story is. Dave is doing a shit ton of the heavy lifting, if not, you know, 75% of hey, look, the heavy lifting. Yeah, because of what's conveyed se- visually. I say 75 because he had to make sense that bloody Adam Moore stretch. Right. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. And and also, like, much and, – and, and again, back to injection, that's what I'm saying. You've got these great little subtle moments, you and Jordy, where the art really carries what's happening. And um, God, from the, even the very last page, which is quite startling in its own way. Oh. And, uh, you know, absolutely. It's this is it's it's really important. And I think this is one of the good things about what's happening with the creator owned stuff is that it's the team that is doing this. And um, you're right. And I think there's an obligation on the press side for us not to forget the very important part of the equation, the art and where it's coming from, because. Um, it does. It, it it's it, again, as you say, seventy five percent. I mean, really, it's a great script. You are, in a sense, the director that is uh, making the story move and come to life, and that can't be ignored. And, well, and, and I agree. And, and, and again, I, and I just want to stress this because it's often said to me whenever I bring this stuff up. You know, uh, you know, I don't deserve seventy five percent of the credit for that book. It's fifty fifty. Like Warren and I own that book. He came up with the concept. He's the one. He's 
planting the the visuals in my mind. I'm not just creating them in a vacuum and it's the interpretation which True. makes it a collaboration. And it's brilliant. And in no way am I saying that writers or artists deserve more credit than writers and whatnot. I just think that oh, no. I think it hurts it hurts the craft as a whole for the art to be De, the perception to be devalued, and you know, I, I'm not saying it's well, it seems to be a collective of things. It seems to, I don't know, I don't know what it's a reaction to, and I'm not looking for the the old '90s image days either, because you know what, those are fucking no, no. terrible comics. Well, uh, they were yes. brilliant comics, especially the ones by the creators of Image. <laughs> no offense, boys, but but no, I I understand, and they are wonderful art books to look at. Some of them are very yeah, – some of them yeah, yeah, sure. are some very of them. There's some great stuff. There's some terrible stuff. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I think I said on Twitter today is for, the, for it to be tipped one way over the other is good for nobody. Exactly. No, 100%, man. No, I totally agree with you, and it is. It's a 50-50 but, equation. You know, I, it's, it's interesting. Say in, in a few years when, when Injection wraps up and, you know, say Warren has a certain fandom quite deserved over the years, uh, you know, it's a question. Will the people who, who read Injection follow – Warren and me, or are they going to follow Warren? And I don't know the answer to that. It's, you know, it's certainly something I'm wary of, or, or I'm, I'm concerned about in the future because you want to build a fan base. I think I think more people will find my stuff from doing injection because it'll all be me rather than doing a double shipping book. If, exactly. You know I mean? well, uh, you've just and you've just partially answered that problem of why it is the way that it is right now to fulfill the double shipping and you know even just the twelve month regular schedule and stuff like that. You yeah, need to bring like, it. Like uh, it's it's not specifically that. I think it is partly double shipping. I think it's partly the monthly schedule. I think it is is partly like I mean, in fairness, Marvel. If yeah. if they weren't selling the books, if the if the consumers weren't if it wasn't being consumed that way, they'd just stop doing it. If it wasn't making money. Sure, they wouldn't do it. You know, and it's partly. The gloss of material coming out and, uh, and reporting it, and, and there's various things, and you know it's not necessarily a rights issue because you know as artists we do fine, but I mean, oh, uh, sure. in the term of like, um, and I'd, I'd, I'd suggest you look up the pictures mean business um, hashtag. I think you'd find it very interesting because um, uh, I like uh, it. The, the, the Sarah she was looking up how stuff that um, a lot of like tracking of sales um, is dependent, like they basically use the author. And don't use the artist, but I mean, if anything, it makes more sense to use both because you're basically doubling. Like if you if you say there's a picture book by a writer and an artist, and you're trying to sell the writer's next book, you could easily sell the book on the art on the artist, but because they're deliberately not, that's hurting. If you use the artist, there's a whole other market there that you can promote and make more money on. Like it just kind of makes more sense, you know. Understood. But anyway, yeah, I recommend you look it up. It's pretty interesting. I like it. Pictures mean business. Yes. Look for that hashtag. That sounds cool. Deck, honestly, I, 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 you, you've, you've opened a lot of doors and a lot of interesting thoughts that I'm sure the listeners appreciate today because uh, always fun to talk, and I think we went into deeper stuff that uh, is only going to make for more interesting conversation and, and things people should consider in the, in the months ahead as, uh, as they go to their stores and they, and they think about the books that they buy and stuff. But uh, Hopefully one of them will be Injection Issue 1. As I was about to say, indeed, injection number one coming out at uh, May tw- late May, May twentieth, uh, no, May thirteenth. Oh, May thirteenth. Excuse me. Okay, so just about two months from now, or yeah. three months from now. No, two months. All right. I was told there'd be no math today. You'll <laughs> no worries. I, I'm not going to. I'm, I'm not going to uh, cringe your math. <laughs> but no, man. Awesome conversation. Really fun conversation with Declan Shelby, and I, I'm pleased, but also sorry to say that we were wrapping up and uh, Jordy uh, Belair woke up and uh, joined us on the conversation. And uh, if, you, if you couldn't guess from the call, I don't remember if I said this in the setup, 
but uh, Jordy and, and uh, Declan are in a relationship, and uh, you know, so they, they work together and live together. And uh, Jordy came on the call, and uh, it was fine. We were off the record, but we really had a very lovely conversation. And I wish that some of it was on the record because she's a delightful person, and I really do respect her work. And like we talked about in uh, the conversation with Deck, um, her coloring is really interesting, and um, I'm getting braver about talking to more colorists. Anthony Tolan. And, uh, God, I still haven't talked to Laura Martin. Shame on me. Um, I've had so very few uh, conversations with uh, people like Chris Peters. Uh, and um, as, as we were talking as well um, about, you know, Scalped, Julia Brusco, who I, I spoke to briefly at, uh, at New York Comic Con with uh, RM Guerra and Jason all together about Scalped. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to do more colorist uh, conversations. And Jordy would be one of those people I'd like to talk to. So, uh We'll have to try and make that happen at some point. But, uh, guys, it's a really fun conversation with Declan, as you can tell. Okay, we're not done. If you're looking at your uh, iPod or your uh, phone and you see, wait a minute, there's still a lot of time left, it's because uh, there's one more segment. And um, I, I've been bad. I've, I've been getting great phone calls, especially in the last couple months, and I, and I haven't played them on the air. And I wanted to do that and also uh, give you that opportunity to uh, add to the conversation uh, through the Word Balloon Hotline. And I am bringing it up right now, even as we speak, to give you that uh, that number to call. Uh, it's 312-841-7025. Now, unless you like your cell phone or something drops off, you get just under three minutes. So, you know, kind of be prepared and stuff. Or call back. I mean, it's okay. In fact, it happens with one of the calls that uh, you're going to hear right now. But, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't done this in a while, so I really wanted to uh, put some callers on the air and uh, respond to some of their questions or their comments about recent interviews, and I think you're going to enjoy them. So let's begin with caller number one. Just listening to the Matt Brady uh, podcast, it's good, interesting stories, but i got to tell you, I re-listened to his story about what happened with Marvel one more day, and I don't know what he's talking about. I still don't know what the story was about. I feel like a lot of his stories are in his head, and he, he's... There's no context. I don't know if he didn't want to really say what happened or, or what, but I was curious. You know, I, I had strong reactions to that storyline, and I thought there was going to be maybe some behind-the-scenes uh, details, but it didn't really I, – I, I still don't know what happened. I don't know what he was trying to say. I just – not like – I disagree with it. I just don't know what he was – what story he was telling. I still – it just seems to go around in circles. Uh the other thing, sit yourself down in a chair and don't get up until you can say Newsarama. <laughs> Newsarama, 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 Newsarama. Just just keep saying it until it sticks. Because I gotta agree with Matt. Newsarama and this is a place you actually worked at. You you should be able to pronounce it, man. I mean, honestly. Like if Chicago is doing that to you, you, you should probably spend some time somewhere else for a little while. Just that is ridiculous. It is news arama. It's arama anyway. It, it, no one says rama. It, it, it makes it something else. And you, you did. You worked there. Come on. Learn, learn to say that right. Okay, I love this feedback. Um, let's start off with uh, one more day and newsarama. And I'm sorry. Uh, you know, if if other people found it unclear, I'm, I'm happy to clarify it as best as I can. Um, Matt had a very strong editorial reaction to. The uh, Spider-Man One More Day story, and if you don't remember, that is where uh, the marriage between Mary Jane and Peter Parker uh, ultimately becomes magically undone by Mephisto, 
And, uh, you know, that's where we got the current status quo now, where Peter and Mary MJ are not together. They're not married. The stuff that happened those years, uh, Mephisto wiped it all away. There was a very strong reaction from fans uh, not liking one more day, if you don't remember, um, Matt, at, uh, as as uh, in his crit- critical role as an editor at Newsarama, had problems with the story and didn't like it, and um, things got tense between Marvel and Newsarama to the point where um, the feature a cup of Joe. Uh, which is now uh, usually their conversations with Axel Alonso or Tom Brevoort or one of the group editors. Um, they were at Newsarama. It started at Newsarama, and uh, it is no longer there uh, because of uh, the the fallout and I guess Marvel's objection to uh, News Newsarama's uh, you know critiques of One More Day. So that's what happened. I thought we I thought we were clear about that, but we're, if we weren't, that's that's the gist of it. That that things got very tense between Marvel and Newsarama uh, because of that. Uh, as far as part two, and I and you'll notice I, I've said Newsarama and so as opposed to Newsarama. Um, <laughs> you know, it's a Chicago thing, man. I'm really sorry. You could suggest the uh, Clockwork Orange treatment that I gotta you know keep uh, a mantra of Rama so that I say Newsarama properly. Uh, oh, but I, uh, I have to confess that um, it, it's probably a Chicago thing because uh, at, at the score, my sports radio station, we had a charity uh, sporting event every year where we'd get celebrities to uh, bowl uh, with NBA, or, uh, uh, pro bowler tour professional bowlers, and I always loved it. And we called it Bowlerama. Rama, not Rama, Rama. And and whether it Rama like drama as opposed to Rama like Rama Lama Ding Dong, um, I think with with um, slang, um, I don't think <laughs> that there is a King's English proper way to say Rama as opposed to Rama. Uh, if there is, I, I, I'm happy to read uh, a definition that someone wants to send me with a proper ah uh-huh for Rama. But uh, get over it. How about that? Okay. <laughs> And sometimes it's going to slip and I'm going to say it. I make fun of myself over it. But really, okay, you know. But again, we're comic book fans. We 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 focus on the Picayune and we have our problems. I appreciate the comments. Let's move on to the next caller. Hey, John, this is Eric. Uh, long-time listener. just wanted to say that I really enjoy the show, uh, the format, and what you do. Um, always entertained by it and learn lots of new stuff. Uh, I just basically called in felt move to comment on the Chuck Dixon interview. I thought it was great. While I'm not like a huge Chuck Dixon fan, uh, I actually really appreciated his X-Men run for the most part, and I'm always, I think it's always a little unkind and disingenuous when people credit him with ruining the X-Men. Uh, I definitely don't think that's true. I think that if anything, he had a really good idea of what it meant for the X-Men to be a team. And I think that's a dynamic that's uh, sorely missing these days, as everyone's been so deconstructed and broken down and uh, spread out, that uh, the idea of the X-Men as a core team and sort of a group, a unit, uh, was um, something that's been missing and, and definitely very appealing about them. I think that's a core element in the same way the Fantastic Four family, I think, the X-Men were too. Um, not so much anymore. Anyway, some of his ideas, some of the stuff wasn't didn't always work. Wasn't didn't always translate exactly right. But I thought his run, for the most part, was actually really pretty good. And I think it's really weird when people uh, freak out about how it was. There were some ideas that were different. He tried different things, and I think 
in the age of uh, Remender making Punisher literally Frankenstein and uh, everything being inverted and everyone's evil and Tony Stark is, uh, you know, a maniacal narcissist uh, instead of a hero and all these things that everyone gets such credit for now, for doing now. Uh, I think that, honestly, if any one of them had done it then, they would have received the same ire that, uh, that Dixon got. Uh, and maybe, I think, honestly, again, unjustly so. I think the Marvel Universe is almost unrecognizable these days, and uh, some of it's good. Some of it, I think, is a lack of editorial, a complete lack of editorial. I mean, how many different world-changing events are happening right now, and very little interconnectivity. In the same way that DC has too tight an editorial over everything, uh, and nothing can almost grow organically, I think that maybe Marvel is too laissez there. But in any event, uh, I know you're not a huge X-Men guy, but I think Dixon's run uh, deserves far more credit, and I think that if that were happening today, it might actually get that. And conversely, if some of the creators making similar departures were doing it then, they certainly would have been crucified. Remender, Hickman, anyone. So, great. Again, thanks for letting me express that, and uh, keep up the good work. Thanks very much, Eric. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, you know, I suck when it comes to my X-Men continuity. I've said it since day one and didn't really – it makes sense. And, of course, Chuck likely had written you know, a hunk of the X-Men. Um, I wasn't aware of it. In fact, I looked it up uh, while uh, I was listening to the call and stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I just I, – I didn't, I didn't read it back then. I don't, unfortunately, have an opinion of Chuck's uh, run on the X-Men. I'm surprised if it is one that X-Men fans don't like. I'm not really sure, and, and feel free to you know comment on it further if you want. Um, I got to tell you, and I and I say this every time Chuck is on the on the uh, on the air with me, I mean it. Chuck is like one of my favorite comic book writers because he can literally write any any kind of comic book story, and I think he finds a hook. I just think he's got the craft so down, uh, and I and he's a hell of a writer, and I do. I have his you know e novels as well that he's been doing. Um, I, I am I am a Chuck Dixon. Literary fan. Uh, we agree to disagree on some political views, and that's totally fine because that's the kind of cool country that we live in that we can agree to disagree and yet still literally enjoy each other's company, are truly happy when we see each other, and it's a delight to talk to him as much as I do. And uh, I, 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 you know, I, I wish I saw Chuck more because I know we'd only be better friends despite our differences uh, when it comes to politics and stuff. But that's totally cool, totally fine. So yay, Chuck Dixon, and truly, Eric, I appreciate the compliments and, and uh, your, your point of view on uh, his X-Men run. So thank you. On to the next call. Hey, uh, I just wanted to say that uh, I enjoyed the Jeff Loeb uh, interview, and uh, I'm glad you stuck to your guns regarding the uh, tail-wagging-the-dog relationship between the movies and uh, comics. I think certainly one thing to... Uh, one example, I mean, if Nick Fury is suddenly Samuel L. Jackson, uh, that's one thing to have new readers recognize their, uh, their first familiar versions of that character. I'm, I'm kind of appalled with the idea that, at the idea of, uh, the change with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. And while I don't particularly care about these two characters, I think it's perfect evidence of what you were driving at with your questions for Jeff. 
um, again, with the tail wagging the dog metaphor, uh, I think retconning them into not being mutants, uh, so they can be used in the films is insane. Uh, they're already established mutants. Uh, it's not like Marvel is creating any new characters or properties for Fox to use. Um, I'm not, I, I just, I, I think that, um, I think the comics are truly actually starting to suffer. Um, the contrivances with maybe some of the mechanisms behind, uh, Secret Wars, the, the new one, the new series coming up, uh, and, uh, the, the parentage of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Um, I just, I, I, I feel like, uh, the success of the, movies is starting to compromise the um, storylines in the comics and uh, I think we're seeing clear evidence of that I would much rather see a cohesive vetted and believed in X-Men than uh, pushing Inhumans down our throat I mean that's just maybe a personal choice but like I said I think it's fairly clear that the X-Men the X-Line is suffering as a result of Fox's deal and creators can protest all they want, and it's not not happening. But I, I, I think we'd be fools to think it wasn't uh, happening to some degree. Thank you. Um, I get what you're saying, and I think it's completely fair as a reader to have that response. Um, I don't know, man. I, I see good things that come out of the film and television adaptations that find their way back to the comics and things that I don't agree with as a longtime reader as well. Um, let's see what happens with Secret War, because I do think that as absolute as you feel the Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch's story is, I don't know, man. I remember as a kid um, in that um, – and I'm trying to remember if it was the 70s or early 80s um, where they were convinced that their real parents were Miss America and the Wizard as opposed to um, – you know, being the children of Magneto and, and the various, you know, mutant backgrounds they've been given, that I do think that their backgrounds have always been an open book. And it's not that weird. It'd be weirder if suddenly Clark Kent discovered he was human and not Kryptonian. and Or even um, Roberto Aguirre Scarza's Fantastic Four story when, you know, the Fantastic Four is broke. And I kind of agreed with, you know, the camp that said this is the smartest man in the world. How can the Fantastic Four ever be broke? They, you know, the guy is always inventing shit. I mean, so I get it. I, I understand because obviously I'm assuming that's how you feel about these changes with uh, the Scarlet Witch and, and Quicksilver. But we're also we haven't seen what they're going to be in either. Uh, oh, well, we saw obviously in Days of Future Past uh, with Quicksilver. But um, let's let's see what they look like in Age of Ultron and, and how they act. Um, and, and let's judge from there. Um, I got to tell you, I like a lot of things that have come from the movies. I like Robert Downey Jr.'s attitude kind of, you know, infecting Tony Stark, like I said in my interview with Jeff Loeb. Um, the Wolverine stuff, um, I don't know. I don't know. You know, and, and I'm, I'm just not sure. I, I, I think, uh, you know, it, there's going to be another call about the X-Men that we can talk about more. A lot of X-Men calls this time. And I feel bad because obviously I'm, maybe I'm the wrong guy to comment on this stuff uh, because I'm not as huge of an X-Men fan as, as many of you are. Um, but 
I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'll wait and see. I, I am totally a wait and see person. And you know, if a movie sucks and and does fail for some reason, uh, it probably won't be reflected in the comics. Um, you know, I, I'm cool with uh, Nick Fury Jr. moving on and stuff like that. And I thought that was uh, a good compromise that uh, Silver Age Nick Fury doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Uh, now that you know, there's also Nick Fury Jr. and stuff. Um, I thought that was a decent way of kind of addressing it and fixing it as best as you can, uh, because it, it was really fun being there at the beginning with Ultimates and seeing you know Samuel L. Jackson being Ultimate Nick Fury, and also hearing uh, Mark Miller and, and Bendis at those first uh, press conferences in the early 2000s talk about it, and I loved it. It cracked me up. So you know, I, it's again, I get it, and I and I can appreciate it. Like I just said previously too, there are things that we all get picky about, but uh, I'm cool with this. Moving on, next one. So I've just been reading in a few trade publications about uh, the X-Men and their role in the Marvel comic book universe uh, going forward post-Secret War. So I was thinking about your interview with uh, Bendis, in which he emphatically stated that everyone at Marvel is doing their best for the X-Men, and they want it to succeed, and... Uh, that it's ridiculous that people are looking for conspiracy theories uh, to end it uh, or anything related to what's going on with uh, Marvel Studios and Disney and the movies. Well, we've seen the cancellation of the Fantastic Four shortly after the Fantastic Four tra- movie trailer was uh, put out. And yeah, I know that it wasn't selling super well, but... Uh, it did seem like a big F you to Fox. And uh, now we've got uh, the X-Men being put into kind of the background. Uh, in the last few years, with the exception of Bendis books, X-Men have been all over the place, given their own timelines, random divergent stories, and almost as if they kind of wanted it to fail or didn't care if it succeeded. And uh, I don't think this is on... On accident, uh, I think it's pretty clear that Marvel has been de-emphasizing the X-Men uh, on purpose, um, not allowing Fox any merchandising rights. I mean, this is just a custody battle <laughs> with two really bitter divorced parents. And it sucks because it's ruining really uh, important comics for people who enjoy them. Um, these are great titles and they're devaluing their own characters. And I'm sure there's some algorithm somewhere that uh, someone thinks justifies doing this, but I just can't, can't believe that Bendis was completely, it just during the interview, it seemed like he was protesting a little bit too much. And who are we to say what's really in another person's head? But uh, it just, I don't know. It feels hollow now. Like It's obviously been in the works. He had to have been aware of it on some level. And, dude, you did a great job with the X-Men, but now you're suddenly jumping off and Marvel is purposely saying they're not going to focus on the X-Men as much after the Fantastic Four cancellation. I can't believe he wasn't aware of it on some level. kind of feel like Bendis lied a little bit. I mean, I, uh, I've i been a huge fan of this recent run, especially I think he was the only person doing anything really valuable with the X-Men, and he kind of, I mean, just no comment. Right. Okay, so more concern about you know what's going on with uh, Marvel and and Fox 
uh, and their shared ownership of the X-Men, at least for now, until uh, another Sony Marvel Spider-Man sort of deal, if ever, will happen. It doesn't look like it will. The X-Men movies are, are flourishing at Fox and will continue. And, you know, yeah, the, the, the Fantastic Four thing, too, that, that concern. You know, let's just see this stuff play out. Um, you got to, because I wouldn't judge everything just yet. Um, we don't know what Secret War is going to look like and the aftermath. Uh, I, I think that there are interesting prospects out there. Um, you know, Wolverine's dead, but Wolverine, you know, as as Mr. Spock, the late Leonard Nimoy once said, I've been dead before. Um, let's let's see what happens, man. Okay, I mean, let's let's really let Marvel go through this Secret Wars and and see what the new status quo looks like and how everything relates. Um, I can appreciate the frustration and also the concern. Um, I would disagree that I do think beyond Bendis, Jason Aaron with Wolverine and the X-Men had, had some very interesting things to say about the, the X-Men. Uh, I think Brian Wood has had a lot of interesting things to say about the X-Men recently. Certainly Rick Remender with Uncanny X-Force. Um, so a lot of people have been able to kind of do fun things. And, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know, and we won't know until these stories reveal themselves. Like the concern over the Fantastic Four... Uh, clearly, with with Doom playing the role that he is in Avengers currently, as revealed recently in the Hickman books, um, you know, uh, obviously the the Fantastic Four will likely respond to their greatest villain during Secret Wars to some degree. Um, yeah, let's let's just wait and see what happens, man. Because um, you know that's where great stories come from. Is and and even when they fail, at least if they're trying to do an interesting story, I'm willing to watch the forgive me failure in progress so i don't know i'm cool with it i I just want to see what happens first and then i'll and then i'll figure it out uh but man great questions uh i like the rip about rama and rama and uh it was fun so thank you and again if you want to uh do and leave more uh google voice uh, mails for me and uh, we'll continue this because I'd like to do this and, and also like the town hall meeting. And everyone's been very patient, the Patreon people that have uh, helped me with uh, with their donations and with the intent of doing a town hall meeting. I want to do this and I want to involve you guys more and have your voices uh, be on the show more. So uh, call the hotline if you'd like, 312-841-7025. And town hall meetings are coming as well. Um, you know, thank you for your patience on those. But this is a good way in the meantime to get your voice on Word Balloon as well. Because ultimately, I'm, I'm happy to have you participate in the conversation. And I do think it's interesting. Um, I like when at, pa- at uh, panels at conventions, when we just talk about the big picture and you've got a bunch of us podcasters up there to ask us questions and what do we think. And we all just try to figure it out together. We're all fans. It's okay. And, you know, this stuff isn't all absolute. Um, it can't be. And it needs to change for, you know, just modern taste's sake sometimes or whatever the reasons are. Um, I'm willing to let the storytellers tell their stories and then see what we feel about them, hearkening back to, uh, again, those criticisms of uh, Spider-Man in One More Day. I'm shrugging right now. You can't see that, but trust me. So uh, neat stuff. Thank you very much. And uh, I think we'll put a button on Word Balloon with those uh, lovely calls. Thank you, uh, Declan Shelby, and uh, thank you, callers. And thank you all for uh, participating and listening to today's Word Balloon, all brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Uh, great deals continue to happen over there, and they make it easy with uh, really fun books at great, great deals. How about grabbing, and I can't believe that uh, Jay Ferber and I have not talked about Copperhead, uh, the, a new sheriff in town. The first volume is already out from Image. Scott Godlewski. There we go. 
uh, and Ron Riley are your artists. Uh, and uh, I, I know nothing about this book. Shame on me. And I'm sorry that uh, Jay has not been on to talk about it. I believe we got an email, but shame on me, Jay. I, I apologize. But uh, the first volume, you can get it uh, at a great deal, 50% off, just $4.99 at InStockTrades.com. Is that enough of a commercial for Copperhead? We mentioned uh, Kurt Busick's Astro City Books, Private Lives Hardcover, Victory Trade Paperback. Both are 50% off. If you want to get the hardcover of Private Lives, it is $12.49. The Trade of Victory is $8.49. Tiny Titans, Return to the Treehouse, Art and Franco, 50% off, $6.49. You can get pre-code classic Weird Tales of the Future. The hardcover volume one is 25% off, $35.99. You can get Deadpool volume seven with uh, Brian Pussain, Jerry Duggan, our pal Mike Hawthorne, uh, Mark Brooks are the artists on those. Uh, you can get that at uh, 45% off. It's just $9.89 for Volume 7, Deadpool Axis. From Valiant, you can get Man of War, Trade Paperback, Volume 8, Enter Armories, is uh, 30% off, just $10.49. You can also get Valiant Masters, Hardbringer, Hardcover, Volume 1, uh, from uh, Jim Shooter and David Lapham. Uh, that is... Um, off and just $27.99. That's from InStockTrades.com, where they have continually great deals happening. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. And uh, great deals are just waiting for you. Grab them now at InStockTrades.com. Thanks a lot for listening again to today's Word Balloon. Um, Man, we are on a roll. And I'm so pleased. And really, you know, I thank my guests for really bringing it and and providing such interesting conversation. I've got a few in the bank that are still coming and might come at the end of this week. Um, that's why Deck got the, the solo shot today, along, along with Word Balloon Callers. And uh, I, I think uh, it just kind of uh, sat well on its own. Uh, but we've got more interviews coming up. I've got other things in the pipeline. People want to come on, which is always thrilling. And thank you to the creators who give a shit and want to be on Word Balloon. I, I truly appreciate that. But really neat stuff uh, coming uh, throughout March into April, as we roll into C2E2, I'm kind of firming up my C2E2 panel plans and, uh, you know, what I'm going to be doing at the con beyond uh, bugging people with my uh, iPhone and uh, getting floor interviews for you and stuff. But it's going to be another great C2E2. Really looking forward to it at the end of April at McCormick Place, my first convention of the season. Uh, I will be in San Diego as well. Uh, I will be moderating the Spotlight on Art and Franco uh, panel. I'm looking forward to that and uh, likely have more panel information for you as uh, time progresses and we get closer to July and San Diego Comic-Con. I won't be at Special Edition in New York. I probably will be in New York in the fall, especially considering I missed last year, and I'm always bummed when I miss New York because I have such a great time. I have a lot of friends in New York, and I also uh, get to uh, see the East Coast people that I don't normally see when I go to Midwest cons or West Coast cons. So uh, really looking forward to New York as jammed as the Javits Center is, it's still fun, and, you know, you just uh, you make the best of it, but uh, really, that's that's mostly the facility. That has nothing to do with the people that run the convention, uh, the conventioneers themselves, and certainly not the wonderful guests that I see at every East Coast con when I go. So, uh, those are the two coastal cons I'll be doing, and uh, C2E2 in the middle. Um, I probably will be at, uh, in fact, I can say definitely, because I've already committed to them, uh, Tony and Kara Moore's wonderful uh, Cincy Comic Con again, coming up in September. Um, it's just a fun show. 
and they always have such interesting guests and it affords me the chance to talk to people that I either don't think of on my own or just didn't have the opportunity to connect with them. And God, last year was a perfect example with Kelly Jones, Tony Millionaire, and, and the great conversations that I had. And really, I had such a good time. And they treat me so nicely. And, and it's really fun. And it really does get to be um, a very word balloon curated show. They really do ask me, like, you know, uh, for, like, panel thoughts and stuff like that. And what do you think of this? And do you have any ideas of how we could use these creators and stuff? So it's a lot of fun. And they, they really do. They put on an amazing show. If you're anywhere near uh, the Cincinnati area and you haven't gone to Cincy Comic Con, uh, you got to do it. It's great. So uh, that'll be fun in September. And we'll see beyond that. You know, I'm, uh, I'm constantly working. And the day job's keeping me busy with radio as well. Uh, but uh, happy to still make time to talk to you each week with another new Word Balloon podcast. So thank you for your patronage as always. The best way you can help me with Word Balloon is let friends know that this is an awesome show and if they like uh, this kind of conversation they should be listening to the podcast as well. 10th anniversary coming up uh, May 10th. It'll be 10 years on the button. Very proud of that. Happy to still be here and talking to you each week as we've been doing. So, And we plan to do it for a really long time. So stay on the ride with me will you? Thank you. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.